Welcome to This Board Game Life. This is the show about board games, the people who play them, and anything else we want to talk about. This is episode number 10, titled Wanderlust. On this show, we talk about a game store I visited in Washington, D.C., and what we've been playing recently. My name is Rob, and with me, I have the other half of this fine show, Mr. Jeff. Hey, everybody. Okay, and I don't know about you, Jeff, but uh, I'm kind of finding these past few weeks have been uh, a little bit on the slow side, you know, at least in terms of major news announcements. I don't know if everything's, you know, waiting for, you know, Gen Con or Origins or what. There's been news announcements, just nothing all that interesting to me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just been like a like a trickle almost, you know. Yeah. It, it's it's almost like uh, in the video game world, everything is like at a major crawl, like in January, January and February, like right after Christmas. Right. But, uh, you know, we still found a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. So, you ready to get rolling? Absolutely. All right. So, the first thing to talk about here is uh, I spent a whole bunch of time out in scenic Washington, D.C. Didn't get to see much of the Capitol other than the White House and a game store and also the office that I was working at. So I guess that's three things that I saw. Well, at least you got but, the game store in. Yeah, I know, right? Actually, when I flew into D.C., that's the first thing that I I got in a rental car and I drove out to this place. Wait, so, before you even go to the hotel? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's, I, that's I, a, flew, I think that's a like a scout patch for doing that. <laughs> merit badge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or an achievement. There there's my gamer score. You unlocked it. Yes. So yeah, I, I flew in, got in midday, uh, which you know gave me a bunch of time to to kill because that was uh, that was my travel day. So I got in my car, drove out to this place. It was called Game Parlor. It was out in uh, Chantilly, Chantilly, Virginia. I'm not quite sure how you say that. Chantilly. That sounds right. Chantilly. And it was really interesting in a bunch of ways because, okay, this store is easily the biggest game store I've ever seen. The biggest. Really? Oh, yeah. It was three storefronts in a strip mall out in this town. So this is probably about 20 miles outside of D.C. All games, no toys? Uh, Yes. Yeah. And inside, there's a huge area for playing. They had 11 3x5 or 3-foot-by-5-foot gaming tables with chairs. Nice. And then there were four really large tables, uh, about 5-by-10-foot for miniature playing. And how many many people were there, like, when you showed up I, I mean this was midday on a thursday mm-hmm. there there's probably less than a dozen people okay i thought you were gonna be like but, nobody or something oh then no i was gonna I mean, say well fail but i guess if you got that big a store you you better have people in there pretty much anytime you're open oh yeah you know there's a couple people playing some board games i i didn't really pay too much attention to this. so just random people playing board games in a store that's yeah it. They were playing board on games. a special board game day. Yeah. 
and there were some people out there with miniatures, and there's a soundproof role-playing room with two tables <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in the back. That's crazy. Yeah, and it... Those, uh, uh, those role players sure get loud sometimes, I guess. Oh, yeah. You know, Interrupts my uh, my strategic concentration on my miniature game. As Yeah, as, as they like are flipping their tables and everything. <laughs> D&D or... Uh, well, actually, what's, what's that new one? It's not D&D. It's... Uh, Pathfinder. Pathfinder, yeah. Because they're playing their Pathfinder games. So and so there's two tables in there which have uh three by five foot tables with cork board and dry erase boards. I guess uh, it's been years since I played, but I guess that's the high tech version now of D and D. Uh on top of that, but wait, there's more. They also have eight computers. Yeah where you can play World of Warcraft or, or whatnot. And that's probably most of the notable stuff that's, you know, outside of gaming, you know, just the store facilities. But even that alone was impressive. You know, I can't say that I've ever seen a place that had that much. So when I walked in, I, my main goal when I go to these places is I really like to look for those, like, oddball finds. Yeah. I think we talked about this before, where it's like the game, you know, all the locals don't care about. But then, you know, you look at it and you're like, jackpot. <laughs> or they don't even uh, they don't even browse the uh, the dusty shelves, right? They're, exactly. they're just there to play and pick up whatever the new game is. Oh, yeah. So when I you mean, walk... That, you know, that, that happens a lot with stores, though. I mean, after you just you feel like you've seen everything and know what they've got. You, you stop wandering down those remote aisles. Exactly. And, you know, if, if you actually do walk through, you might find something got tucked away who knows how long ago. Yeah, I, I kind of hid that one game behind like seven years ago, <laughs> and I meant to go back and get it, and it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> and those employees never put, yeah, did they, their inventory. They never, they never straighten their inventory game stores, do they? Oh, yeah. So, you know, when you walk into this place... Uh, it it it's very large. It, you kind of have to walk back and forth as you go through these aisles between the storefronts because you can kind of see where the storefronts used to be and where they kind of made holes in the wall for doorways and everything. Mm-hmm. When you first walk in, there's a large wall with a lot of games. Then there's a huge miniature section and more comics and role-playing books than I've ever seen in any like board game hobbyist store. Hmm. There was absolutely like shelves and shelves of magazines and books and I mean, all sorts of games. I mean, they had more GMT games than I've ever seen and probably all the stores combined that I've been to. Yeah. You don't see that a whole lot. there's, There's just so much stuff. I mean, so uh, what about accessories? Because that's one of the things I look for. You know, if they've got the dice towers and dice boots and not just dice themselves, right? That's a lot yeah. of stores. But I mean, th- th- there was some of that. And, you know, they definitely had, uh, and I call them accessories. I don't know if other people would agree. But when you have miniatures, you know, you have all your little trees and your little foam. Yeah, I mean, I mounts. think that's just... 
that's more standard miniature fare, right? You got yeah. the the rolls of paints and brushes and such. Yeah, but lots I, of I mean, that, I guess, so. yeah, for... I guess that was kind of what I was getting at, though. Is like that would be the accessories for the miniature players. You know, your dice would be your accessories for the role players, and you know, a little, mm-hmm. um, I guess, whatever else role players use these days. Back back when we didn't have a whole lot of, you know, a couple little figures and uh, paper that we drew the maps on. But now, you know, you probably have all these. Um, I've seen all these printed mats and things and partition walls. But from a board gamer perspective, I'm always thinking more like the dice tower and the dice boots. Right. And the, you know the mm-hmm. the types of things, uh, um, the the stuff that's fun and usable. Yeah, in the games. You know, maybe something I haven't even seen before. Mm-hmm. The little those little uh, electronic gizmos now that keep keep track of how much time you spent. Right, you rotate this cube and then your clock starts ticking. And there's just infinite numbers of of these types of gadgets now that you could stock in a store. And I think that's the kind of thing I would expect. You know that that I'm not gonna end up buying in my online order, but I go to a game store and I go, oh, I know this is kind of neat. I could maybe use this. And I end up, you know, spending real full retail for it anyway, just because I, I haven't seen it somewhere mm-hmm. else. Oh, yeah. But yeah. rarely do I encounter that. Usually I'm lucky if there's even a good representation of board games at, at a lot of oh, places. Yeah. And there was a really long counter in the middle storefront that had a lot of your, you know, magic card game booster packs and you know all of the little uh collectible card games in there i didn't take a too good of a look at that stuff but i mean it was definitely there definitely had a big presence so when i walked in when you first walk in there's a really large wall that runs most of the length of the store and that's where all the euro games were so I started going through there, and it was really interesting where there was a lot of games, and a lot of them I really didn't recognize. And the the store, I guess the proprietor, owner, the, or lady that worked there, she was really nice. She came up, offered to help Wait, me. Wait, no. Now, see, now yes, I know you're just making up the whole thing. She, she did not ignore me no, no, and no, pretend no. I didn't exist. She wasn't there playing games with uh, the people yeah. and just ignoring me. No, you're making up stuff. <laughs> she actually came up to me twice. So, you know, I politely refused any help because I was I was looking for my treasures. <laughs> you don't want to be st- steered to yeah, something else. Exactly. It's <laughs> I was looking for my precious. And ultimately, I left the store empty-handed. Oh I no! Really looked. I three looked and fronts. looked. I looked and looked. I went yeah. through that store probably three times. I could not find anything that even remotely interested. A GMT game. There's got to be some old GMT no. classic. Not your thing. And so, I mean, that was the store. In, in a, I'll say in a positive light. So, looking oh. at it from a different point of view as being the euro gamer you know Mm -hmm. the hobbyist gamer when i was going through the euro section there really wasn't much there it seemed like all that was on the shelves and grant there's a lot of stuff on the shelves it was the stuff that was kind of picked through and left over you know there's there were some titles you know like you know they had some of the standard uh games you know like your Catans and ticket to ride yeah, tick, you know, there's like one copy of Ticket to Ride. But beyond that, I mean, the newest game that I saw in there that really kind of stood out was Hive Pocket. Okay. 
beyond that, I mean, they Which really is a very safe board game title absolutely. stock. Yeah. It's, it's not really exactly a... Absolutely. And, you know, even though they had a lot of comics, a lot of magazines, it was a lot of older stuff. So, so, um, so like, um, No Aura at Labora, Walnut Grove, I, Hawaii, Manhattan No Walnut Project. Grove, I didn't, no. No. It, Lords of Waterdeep? Didn't, That's I don't remember seeing that there either. Fantasy Flight, they must have had some Fantasy Flight stuff. There were some Fantasy Flight games, and this is another thing that struck me as odd. They have that where, box. Where in the third storefront from the entrance, that's where they had all of their mm, more thematic games. Let, let me put it that way. Okay. So they had one section which had more space stuff. And it was because I remember looking through it. I'm like, wow, this is like a really weird, really weird way to like organize the store. I don't know. I mean, in one way, yes. You know, you'd think board games would be with board games, but I could see, you know, unfortunately, because I dabble in everything, it's hard for me to say, but I, I could see that like the miniature players or even the role players, anything Euro or family oriented, they just walk right by. But something more thematic is maybe potential. So if you if you stock that closer to that stuff, assuming that's what you're talking about, right. and you kind of shove the euros over by the war games because maybe war gamers kind of stick to their thing and family type. Uh, a lot. I mean, a lot. Half of the euros are kind of family games anyway, and mm-hmm. and then the others are, are kind of the dry, not not for everyone kind of sorts. So uh, yeah, I mean, in some ways. So- the thematic stuff is has maybe the most crossover. Like a lot of different groups might dabble in that. I don't know. That's probably why Fantasy yeah. Flight does so well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you know you got the little plastic stuff and a lot of their games that appeals to the mini gamer, and then you got the fantasy sci-fi theme that probably appeals to you know the average role player, and, and then it's it's a board game, so your Euro players kind of that has that appeal. So. I don't know. I'd, I'd probably put it somewhere in the center of all of that, and then in, all, in the other four corners, do the other stuff. Actually, something just occurred to me. I mean, a little outside of what we're talking about here. Are there any fantasy flight games with wooden cubes in them? Yeah, sure. Really? Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't think they're in-house designs, but they, in Kingsburg <laughs> would be maybe one of the oh, older yeah. ones. Oh yeah. And they. Uh, I'd have to think if Olympus had cubes, but I mean, that's, uh, I don't have it anymore, but. Um, you know, there's been other other Euro games they've published. Yeah, because they predominantly have like the little figurines and wooden chits or paper uh, cardboard chits, whatever. Yeah, they they sure try to go that route anyway. Oh yeah. So you know, going back to Game Parlor, and it, it was just a really weird organization system. Like I'm used to seeing stores where something like you know Memoir 44. Is grouped in with the re- you know rest of the games. It's not kind of just off yeah the, absolutely by the war yeah. games. That's kind of the most common and, way you see it. And then next to that, they had like another area that had some Arkham Horror stuff along with some other games. And so what what really struck me as being odd was just that it was all these different style games like board games, card games, and everything. Yeah, you probably have the fact there. that I mean the way you describe the doors. I'm sure they kind of started in one storefront and then expanded when the place next door went out of business. And then, you know, then, then another place next door went out of business, you know, five years later. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And they decided to expand yet again. And so then they probably just never 
re-looked at the entire place and said, well, you know, maybe <laughs> now that we have three storefronts, we should redesign the entire way our layout's done. It yeah. probably kind of just evolved that way over time. So that's the reason for these sort of just, you know, it's like we have a room over here, so we'll just start putting some more board games over here. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it was the lighting in the room or not, but it seemed like all of the boxes for the for the board games, at least the Euro games, were bleached out slightly. Ooh. That was really odd because the entire... They've been there that long. Well, well you, yeah. if you have full sun on the front of the store? I believe it was west-facing. Not 100% sure, but I'm, I believe it was. Yeah, I, mean, I guess so, if, if you've got a lot of sun coming in... Yeah, because they were all faded out slightly. So, you know, they had so much stuff over there, but if you're into, you know, the hottest new games, I think that stuff might be picked through. Their website shows, you know, that, like, you know, these are all the games that are coming out, you know, this particular week, and they do list a lot of the newer titles. They must just get picked through because it doesn't seem like there's a whole ton they, of games. Yeah, they, they probably order one or two, they get bought, they just don't reorder unless somebody asks for it. Yeah. Um, but you know that there is some truth to that bleaching out. I mean, I, I know somebody who left a game in the back of their car for, I think it was only a, I th- actually I think they said it was a couple weeks, and you know it probably probably was actually more like a month and a half because you know you you never think of it like that long, but <laughs> mm-hmm. but no, it was totally bleached out, um, just from sitting in the back of the car and the, and the sun coming through the window. Yeah. I also know a gamer that uh, insisted we drew the the drapes or close the blinds before he would play <laughs> the game on a table. <laughs> so. Was it the Dracula game? <laughs> no, and no, I think it actually was uh, Twilight Imperium three. So, uh, or Twilight. Yeah, any, anybody that knows me on the <laughs> talking sparkly. about. So, but, uh, so you know, I, actually, with a printing, I know that there's a UV coating that goes on some printed materials. Maybe they're just not as prevalent in game boxes. Who knows? Yeah. Well, that's a lot. I mean, if you sat out in the sun for a month, I don't think it would matter what UV protection <laughs> you had on. <laughs> yeah. So overall, the game parlor out in Chantilly, uh, I guess there was a second store that closed recently. So maybe the store has all of the uh, all the inventory from both stores now. Uh, overall, well, it sounds like, it sounds like they don't know how to turn over their inventory, which is a common board game store problem. Oh, yeah. You know, like, put something on sale. You know, you don't have to sell that, you know, 10-year-old cop, you know, copy of something obscure well, that, that at full and, price. Yeah, that and even if it's not on sale, I would just do the, you know, buy. You If you buy a, a newer game for full price or buy anything for full price, then you can get one from this rack at half off, right? Oh, yeah. And then, and who cares? They if did that. They were doing that with their magazines. The magazines, ton of them were like, I think, 50% off. And they were all older, you know, all yeah, older. But, but like to buy buy one get one half off because then the whole idea is you're making full price, uh, you know, or full profit on that new game. The old game, even at half off, you're probably getting back what you put into it. So yeah. it's still a net win. You're moving inventory. You're probably going to make more sales on new stuff because now you're giving everybody a deal, but without it having to be this recurring deal that's all the time. It's just Hey, this this stuff's been here too long. We need to move it. Now, now you're also generating some more money that you can put back into, as you, as you pointed out, stocking maybe some more current recent stuff, even just for people like you that are just kind of from out of town. Stop. And I think a lot of 
gamers do that when they're traveling about. Oh, absolutely. And I know I've I've often left with nothing for similar reasons of disappointment and just stock levels or types yeah. of, of, of games there. So, I mean, I really wanted to get something. I mean, I had my my the money in my pocket was like burning. You know. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've gone <laughs> to a store. Really wanted to find something. You know, again, I have so such wide life. Whether you know war games, miniature stuff, even. I'd probably even buy a, a role-playing book if if uh, if I were in a store and and it, it caught my eye, right? But so often I go in there with like 20 things in my head and I can't find any of them. And it's like, yeah. okay, I know these games kind of came out in the last month; they're all sold out of that. You know, the, the things they inevitably have are the things I've already bought. So yeah, exactly. And I was really hoping to you know to find some you know one of those older games that. You know, you never really bought when it was out, you know, years ago. And then it's like, hey, there's that game that I wanted, but I can't find it anywhere anymore. Yeah. Let me just grab it. I also enjoy asking the the staff about games and them having no clue. So <laughs> I remember when, uh, yeah. now it wasn't, well, some people like it a lot, but when Gosu first came out, I was in North Carolina and I'd asked the store owner about that. I was like, ah, uh, you know. Again, it was a game I was never interested enough in to to order, mm-hmm. but I was looking around the store, looking to buy something, and I like that popped into my head. I'm like, oh, you know, that yeah, that came out, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I'll get, a, I'll just get a copy of that because I was curious about it and I wanted something yeah. to play while I was it's there. Small and yeah, and that card gave me kind of mess around with uh, whether or not I found anyone to play it with while I was there or not, and if if not, then I would bring it back home to play it. But in any case. I, I got kind of the rudest reaction for asking about that because you know was, I didn't have a clue what I was asking for and it sounds like a strange game so um, you just kind of dis- dismissed me and it. yeah it's like one of those is that one of those like Asian games with marbles or something yeah. but, but at the <laughs> time I mean it was a, I mean it was a pretty I mean everybody kind of knew of the game or should have known mm-hmm. the game if you were in the board game scene. There's probably plenty of people listening that have no idea what I'm even talking about because it it kind of did fall off the radar quickly. But yeah, at I the mean, at the initial point of time, it was um, quite prevalent, uh, you know, a game to be talking about. So I was uh, kind of shocked that because you know, that second because no that second one, what Carmichael or whatever it's called, I mean that came and went, and I mean you barely heard about it. The, you know the other things the owner, um, well. I, I guess I wouldn't call him the owner. I don't know that he was the owner, but he didn't offer to uh, he didn't offer to order it for me either. So okay, usually the answer is probably no, right? I mean, I, w- I wasn't going to stick around in town long enough for that to work. But yeah. you kind of figure them. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I wonder. I, I'm curious how many game titles they can even order because at that point you might as well just buy it online if you're going to wait. So you'd, you have yeah. to be a pretty loyal. Um, patron of the store to uh to actually order a game in because the biggest part at least for me about getting something from a gaming store what does happen is that instant gratification impulse buy exactly so yeah if i'm gonna wait and i'm gonna wait and pay double <laughs> no oh, yeah. I, I yeah i mean i'd sooner just buy something different and then order that other title online for yeah say, and if and if you're out traveling, you can just go back to the hotel room and order it, and maybe it'll be be at your house by then. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to. Because one problem then is, I mean, you got to pack it 
because I, I never check luggage, so uh-huh. I just do carry out. So my space is extremely limited. Yeah, and it could get damaged and. Oh yeah, get damaged and smushed and all that. So, so that was Game Parlor out in Chantilly, Virginia. Cool. Really great place for playing games. Uh, selection, at least the day that I went, hmm, was so-so for for board gaming, but it did have a lot of stuff, and it definitely hits every part of the hobby, miniature war gaming and all that. Awesome. So if you're out there, you might want to check it out. All right. The only thing of of newsworthy note that uh that I've come across is uh, yet another Kickstarter game, but thought I'd mention this one just because it's interesting to me. This was uh, well, it's called John Butterfield's Battle of the Bulge, and what it is is it's really the first, well, they they, they say anyway, credible war game. It certainly looks like a, a credible. Well, still light, but credible war game for the iPad. What I found interesting about it is two things. Is one, normally I haven't seen a whole lot of iPad stuff kickstarted. Uh, oh yeah. And that's for a couple of reasons. And there was actually some challenges made to them because uh, apparently it's against Apple policy to really allow pre-orders or there's no mechanism in place to deliver something that's let's say backed on Kickstarter. And that was oh, the plan. Yeah. There was actually other developers on uh, uh, some of the computer game forums where I was reading this that were kind of challenging them on that. And so they actually came back with a good viable answer. And I thought that was interesting and something worth noting for any other iOS developers out there, you know, would-be development studios, which is the way they intend to do this is to purchase. So right now they have 537 backers. And so, and 319 at the at the $10 level, which is basically what the iPad game cost, uh, looks mm-hmm. pretty cool for $10. They're going to buy, if if it were ended right now, they're going to buy 319 copies of their own game at $10 a piece through the Apple iTunes Store, and uh, as as gifts, which apparently you can do you, when you go to buy something and say, I want to buy this as a gift, and then they you, they put in like your iTunes ID or whatever it might be, which you probably put into the survey at the end of the Kickstarter, and they basically gift you the game. Interesting. So that's the kind of loophole they found in the process, and that's what I found yeah, interesting about this particular Kickstarter. Now, the other thing that's neat, well, actually, first I should say, I kind of I kind of love mentioning these because I really rolled my eyes at this one, too, right? It was like Battle of the Bulge, it couldn't be a more cliche setting. I think everybody starts with Battle of the Bulge. Um, and I didn't, you know, shame on me, didn't immediately recognize any of the names associated with the project. And so I just kind of figured, you know, it looks nice, but it's just any old person. And well, it turns out it's really, this is the guy behind uh, Victory Games, which was a one of the really the best company that Avalon Hill had ever acquired. And he had put, uh, these are the guys that put out like Ambush and some other like really well-known titles. And basically what he was saying is when he first got his iPad, you know, way back with the original one, okay. uh, he, Im- he immediately saw the potential for this and, you know, like quit his day job and, and went to do this full time. And I guess he's, I mean, that had to have been a year or two ago. So he's been doing it ever since. Uh, and now they're finally coming out with, I guess, what would be the first game, which, uh, 
you know, there's really not a lot of competition for, and certainly no competition with creditable sources. You know, designer, developer, everybody kind of even remotely associated with this really has good credentials in the in the wargame world with you know, certainly the serious wargamers, but also everything that I see here shows that it's approachable enough that kind of any iPad gamer, board gamer, you know, would be, this would be worth checking out for $10 uh, to, you know, play something a little different than the other iPad stuff you might have got. And then the, the kind of last thing of note is, and this is maybe a negative for me is the reason I only pledge $10. Normally the whole idea of Kickstarter is you, you know, you, you want to do that $10 level, but then you start reading up the other, you know, reward levels, right? And you go, Oh, I really want to do that level. I want to do that level. Oh, I want that. Well, none of the levels make a whole lot of sense to me in terms of value for my money until I get up to, so I started at $10 for iPad, right? Right. $10 for an iPad game. Easy. No, no, no problem. I'd, pr- I'd probably have paid 15. We'll say, uh, based on other iOS games. And, you know, I might have even been convinced at 20 just because it's the first one. But 10 is an absolute steal. The next level that makes any sense is $150. $150. And that's for the wow. physical board game. And and I, so I had to read this. I, I keep rereading it. Like, I must be reading this wrong. But I read the $100 level, and I get a T-shirt and a player's design guide and... I, I, I get access, access to some secret codes for some hidden content. I mean, great, but I'm paying $90 for that? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so there, that's why there's only 14 backers at that level, only 24 at the board game level. So right now they've got 24 board games to sell. So I don't know kind of what's going on there, although they do mention the printed rules is a $50 value. So, wow. Are they... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, either we're talking about a 400-page rulebook, which I doubt from looking at the game, or I, you know, I don't know. This is on like Gold Leaf, or <laughs> I was just gonna say that, <laughs> right? I, I don't know. I, I'm not following yeah. the numbers here, and especially with the, you know, it would have even made more sense if the game was 20 or 25 or something. But you know, $10 level says you get the game and and your two wallpapers, of course. Uh, so I, I just don't know why I would want to spend $140 for the physical board game. And, and worse yet, of course, they don't have any information on the physical board game. I don't even think there's an entry on, on Board Game Geek. I, I've looked. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, again, you know, what what size is this map? How many uh, chits and counters are included? I mean, what is the rulebook like? I mean, there's very very little information about the board game part. So that combined with the price point, I'm not surprised that that no one's backed at that level. Now, that said, people have backed at the $250 and $500 level, which you actually get to discuss with them the next setting for the game and be a part of the development and get early playtest kits and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, right, be a part of the process. And, you know, I suppose that could be cool if if you were uh, really into that thing and maybe it's not that extravagant of a level of reward, so you know, uh, you know, looking here at the current status of this thing, so at this hundred and fifty dollar level, it's twenty four backers. What quality can they do in a printed game with us when you're only doing twenty four copies? I know that's the problem. I mean, you're gonna you got to have at least a five hundred print run, right, or a thousand. I don't know. 
it, I've not seen many games that did less than 500, right? So if this is the reception on Kickstarter, then that doesn't show well, I think, for having a printed game at all. And maybe they ought to just stick to the iPad version. I, I, I remember this kind of happened with the game, uh, which which now shows up on Tango all the time, but the, the Petroglyph games, which uh, I think we talked about, uh, you know, they had the, the Heroes of Graxia one, but the, the Panzer General ones, yeah. And so they were released on the Xbox, and they were actually quite a good game. I, I spent my 10 bucks for it. I, I enjoyed it. I had fun with it for $10. But mm-hmm. the board game, it, I don't think, translated well. It, it became overly... The, the fact that you could play it online so quickly, and it was this light kind of war game, card game thing, as soon as you got and sat down in front of the actual board all the things the computer took care of for you became tedious and cumbersome, and it no longer was this light game to execute, but still you know, had a light level of depth and all of that, if that makes sense, right? So right, yeah. it was completely, I think, really successful. And I, I, I probably would recommend, even, even now, that you go check that out, right, as an Xbox gamer. The Panzer mm-hmm. General game, $10. Uh, you know, maybe it's less, but uh, I think it was worth it. But, but the board game, even at $10 on Tanga, I... I still don't want it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, even with all the nice components, and I think it really did have some nice components to it, but it just, it doesn't, it's not the same experience. And I wonder that here too, is like, can it really be, you know, they say it's more of a solo game, so that convinces me a little bit more, right? Because when you're playing with the iPad, you, you want to have that solo experience against the AI, and uh, now I've forgotten if, I think there is a, yeah, there is a two player thing face to face they they talk about and over the internet so but there was mention anyway that board game might have a solo play mode and i don't know i just it, it's it's interesting that with as much time as he has obvi- obviously spent on this that there wasn't more kickstarter information i i it's one of the only ones i've ever backed with really what i think is just not enough detail on the the other pledge levels so right uh, certainly there's enough to convince me that ten dollars for this ipad game is is a spectacular deal and i think anybody that checks out the page that's even remotely interested in a in a lighter to medium war you know style war game with really good i mean for ipad graphics this really looks sharp uh, it does so I'm, and i'm surprised it's not hexes yeah yeah it's kind of an area control thing yeah. i it I'm really, uh, really excited about it, actually. And I, I know they haven't shown the interface, but they've talked about the polish that they're putting into it. And it seems like they've really brought in some high-level, uh, you know, the, the other stuff that I've seen, the war games for the iPads and the tablets, I mean, it's all uh, very amateur in, in quality. This really is to an Ascension play deck level uh, quality. I really, really looks that way. So uh, Yeah, it looks polished. Yeah. Very, graphics, you know, it's very not excited just... about that. And obviously they're going to have other titles coming out after this. So, With how it's going so far, and granted it's still, I think, three weeks before uh, the Kickstarter is done, I wouldn't be surprised if this thing comes out looking like a Victory Point game, you know, an actual physical version. Yeah, it could, with 24 backers, and they haven't said what it's going to be. Yeah, I, I mean, don't know, I'd be pretty disappointed for 140 bucks to get a, a victory point game version. You know, where it does, I think it says that it's going to be a mounted map, and just going to be them sitting, you know, with a can of 3M <laughs> spray contact spray. I mean, if you look at 537 backers, I mean, it's not like they, you know, of course it doesn't go fast at 10 bucks, 
but they have raised $17,786 out of 20000 so it's certainly going to get funded. Um, it hasn't been up there very long. It still has almost a month to go. Uh, maybe it takes off. Maybe they just haven't done a really good job of getting the word out. And maybe they've only got two updates. I think that's the big problem. If they come out with more information about the board game and more stretch goal levels and all the normal sort of expected stuff now for Kickstarter, uh, you know, I think this could soar quite high, maybe even 50,000 plus range. Uh, but as it is now, I, f- I find certain aspects a little, you know, interesting anyway. So, oh, yeah. Uh, but again, I'm perfectly thrilled to have backed it at the $10 level. It's just going to take a lot to convince me that I, I need to uh, back it any higher than that. So. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, moving along. So with all the traveling that I've done in the past uh, week, a little bit over a week, didn't get a whole lot of board game time, but I I still got a whole bunch of titles in. And Jeff, I just wanted to mention – one thing real quick before we get on to the games were, so, uh, you know, I was out of town for a whole bunch of days uh, for my little work trip there. And when I came back, I had a situation at the house. Oh, I don't, I, yes. I, I, I don't quite, <laughs> I don't quite know yet how to, how I feel about this, but. Uh, Every my, board game fan's nightmare, worst nightmare, really. Yeah, yeah, I remember you you had mentioned this to me. Yes. So uh, my lovely wife decided to take it upon herself to reorganize all of my games. <laughs> and I was I was just shocked. I mean, we've got this And we're talking major reorganization, right? Oh yeah. And you know, I, the work that she did, oh my gosh! I mean, the amount of time it must have taken her to do it, because you know, being a person that is just sort of getting into the hobby and just kind of following my lead with this, I mean, she doesn't know what a lot of these games are. You know, there's a certain amount of titles that I've introduced her to, but she's still learning, you know, the hobby. And she went through and she wrote down every game that I have on a piece of paper and then was pulling up lists online. Wow. And, you know, then started sorting everything based on publisher. So there's like a whole section of Rio Grande's, a whole, you know, section of Aaliyah and, you know, you, you name it. Now I don't have a small amount of games. I've, I'm probably somewhere in a borderline of like close to 300 right now. And so you must have stopped logging them on Board Game Geek. Yeah, it's, I'm so far behind on that. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> I've always found I'm, it useful, if for no other reason, to track uh, what I paid for it or trade status or. Yeah, I'm not that interested in it. I mean, I just. Well, to is, find out find out what expansions there are, because then when yeah. I click on it, that you know you'll see what the other stuff is, promos and whatnot. Because what I usually wind up doing is. At least this is what I've done in the past, because the bookshelf with all my games is mm-hmm. right behind my computer desk. 
So if you want to know what your collection is, you just turn around and look, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's the some same, of that. It's the same with me, but I, I, I still say that's a fail on Board Game Geek's part because you're the, you know, I think probably everyone I know, there's very few people that maintain their collection. Because um, what I usually wind up doing is at some point I go, you know, hey, I need to update this. So I scan the shelves mm-hmm. <laughs> and I look like, oh, I think I this one's a recent acquisition. This one's a rec- recent one. See, it's and I just add them in. I, I mostly buy online. So when I order a game, I just, I, I'm, I'm on my computer. So then I just hop over to BGG and add it as pre-ordered. And I, I usually stick in what I pay for it just because if I do sell it, now I have an idea. And, and, I, and then this That's way I also a lot have more the date and stuff. So. That's a lot more dedication than yeah. I would ever put into it. Yeah. So, yeah, she went One through. Day you'll she... have to get rid of some games, though. Oh. Unless you're going to start sleeping on them. I mean, I don't know. You can... Yes. <laughs> so I was kind of thinking about that uh, the other day. Where... Stuff them in the rafters. And... Yeah, even if it's a bad game and I don't like it, I I think at least at this time I'd still want to keep it. Yeah, you're the opposite. I know I know eventually when I start running out of space and then storage is a big problem, that's probably what's going to turn me. <laughs> Every wall will be dedicated to uh, to games. So, yeah. Yeah, she went through and she reorganized everything. Hmm. Yeah, I was looking at it earlier. I'm like, I don't know what I want to do with this. I know I don't want to have him buy... Because... I kind of want to organize everything by type. Yeah, that's, and I uh, want all the boxes. that's how I have it. So, yeah, and I want all the boxes to be that's you know, what, to that's have one like of those a reasons good use you of space. Can't, uh, you can't compare how one person organizes games to another, right? Because it all depends on, like, for me, type means, uh, you know, I have war games, I have Ameritrash games, I have Euros, heavy Euros, light Euros, family games, filler <laughs> games, children's games, right? Dexterity yeah. games, deck builder games. Uh, you know, so I actually have them organized in those categories. Uh, right. But for somebody else that maybe plays only Euro games, that's not going to make any sense, of course, right? So now you're going to have to go worker placement games and, right, bidding games or, you know, something like on a mechanic level, perhaps. Yeah. Or you just go with publisher, you know, especially if you, like, collect the, you know, the Alea big box game, you know, where they're numbered and stuff, then it's usually nice to have them all together. Or yeah. uh, For those, I mean, definitely have those together. Yeah. Definitely have some of those two-player Cosmos games together. Yeah. The the designer would be another way, but I've tried I've tried a couple things like that, and usually it's the fillers that ruin it, because like, I really want to put, you know, that in with them, and then you have just, it looks really weird on the shelf, and you're very wasteful on space, but I, uh, I did make one alteration which I kind of like, which is I've uh, I've started to locate the games that you can only play with three or more together, and just because that allows me when I'm when I'm looking to pack a game bag, then I know that those are games that I can't play with my wife, right? Like ever, yeah. and so those are kind of then uh, weighted a little more towards the you know I should probably toss one or two of those in my game bag when I when I go out to play games. Mm-hmm. And the only thing is there aren't a lot of games in that category because even games like Olympos with the O has a two-player variant. And, right. you know, there's a lot of games that, okay, they, they're not perfect with two, but by the strict definition, they could be played with two. So. Right. But, yeah. So so I, I have that little subset. I actually do keep my uh, Agricola games all together. 
I don't know what you call that series, but the 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 U Rosenberg games, right? I think they call it the Harvest. Oh series. yeah, right, right. Well, I kind of have Walnut Grove. Does Walnut Grove count? Because the art's similar, and so I kind of have that one together, even though I've got. That's that's the like the lookout look. Yeah. Well, my Lahav La is lookout. You know, Hall Games did Gates of Loyang. The other three I've got are Z-Man games, but you know those are just because it looks nice, right? And then I have a shelf with the dice, most of the dice games and variations. And yeah. like I said, you know, I, I store the dexterity ones flat, and the deck builders are together. So yeah, I mean, there's, I guess it just matters. There's a logic for you, but um, you know, this this way when people are here too. Obviously, for the most part, although there are some kids' games people like for fillers, you know, Animal Upon Animal and stuff, but those mm-hmm. are kind of, you know, you can kind of ignore those and you can kind of ignore the fillers if you don't want to play something quick and the family, lighter stuff's kind of together. So, and a lot of people don't like the war games or the, you know, maybe you don't have enough people or time for the Ameritrash stuff. So, so I actually have the Euro stuff kind of in the center of all of it. So you can kind of rule out the left and rule out the right and then. You know, just look at the center. So I've yeah, because you know, most of the time when you're asking people like, hey, you know, what do you want to play? They'll, well, if if they have no idea, you know, because they're not gamers, usually you can guide them into something like, oh, you know, we'll we'll play a dice game or we'll play like you know yeah. an intro game or something like that. I, so I have those together. Uh, I basically know? spent too much time organizing my collection, but I, I also have nine uh, nine plus foot ceilings, so my shelving goes all the way up. Uh, to the very, very tippy top, and yeah. uh, therefore I have to have some verticals, you know, choices too, where I put stuff, you know, like I've got my old Acquire game, which I'll, I'll never part with, the 3D one, but I really don't play it much because there's stuff I, I now like better than it, but that's up there on the shelf and right. stuff like that. Uh, my HeroScape stuff, you know, that I'm really saving for when my son gets older, that's way up there and and so on. So, uh, so where it is vertically is kind of also a, a ranking of what I... Th- think of it <laughs> absolutely because so. you know and she actually did a little bit of this you know because some of the big we'll call them coffin style boxes yeah like earth reborn and, and the boxes for alhambra and carcassonne mm-hmm. yeah the big box ones. big ones yeah i mean she put that all the way up on top because these bookshelves are seven footers i think mm-hmm. oh, 72 inches whatever that is so I mean, and it was quite a feat for her to put those up there because she's four foot eleven. Yeah, <laughs> this tiny little girl. I don't know how she got it up there. Maybe she grabbed the six foot ladder I had in the garage. But yeah, she put the heavy stuff up on top, and you know that's something that I definitely want to do. Where there's some of the games that we play with our son, you know, have those more accessible somewhere where he can reach it. Yeah, that's exactly what you I know, did. I've got a, a little cabinet for that one actually with with glass doors. Well, they're not like. Mm-hmm. real glass but um but yeah he can kind of open that up and then all his stuff sort of at at within his reach i think except for the very topmost shelf and that one that's maybe a four foot four and a half foot shelf unit yeah. mm-hmm. although that's now full so uh, i'm having to figure out he's got as many games i think now as i do <laughs> all right probably probably around 100 plus yeah you're the best dad ever yeah yeah, I just wish he could play them all. I mean, I've I've bought ahead too much uh, stuff that he can't quite play yet. Oh yeah. Yeah, you gotta break him in slow. Cause I think I was telling you a couple weeks ago where some of those Schmidt 
Schmidt Spiel Easy Play games. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're awesome for kids. Yeah, just I because they're they're really simple. We did um, we did a couple of games just today. I mean, he played Fish Eat Fish. Uh, he didn't play that right though, so that one's he kind of just plays around with them. Um, we did play a game called Zingo Right, which is kind of like a bingo with but with pictures. And it has this really neat way that the tiles come out and go back in. Um, so he's able to play that right. And, you know, there's a, a variety of other things. The, the other day he actually noticed my HeroScape stuff up on the shelf. It's way, like I said, way up at the top. Yeah. And I've got a, a bunch of the sealed packs of the figures that I that I haven't bothered to open since I don't play it uh, anymore. But he's he's well, there's toys up there, <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I figured I uh, better it's you like, know they're not toys. They're yeah, games. Well, I brought I brought it down. I I had a box with all the dragons and all the larger stuff, the train, and we I broke that out and got he kind of got his first time playing with it. Uh, you know he's maybe three years, uh, three months, right right around there. I have to do the math. So uh, yeah, I mean we weren't quite ready to get into the rules or anything, but uh, I kind of kind of kept it official you know we didn't allow play time with those and yeah um, but but now he's really interested in it so i i might uh might look at those basic rules and see if uh in a limited set you know for a for a five or ten minute game if i can actually get him interested because he does like rolling dice and he will move pieces and things so mm-hmm. yeah that's one thing is i kind of contemplated that a little bit because i've got the uh the I guess the base set of HeroScape that I picked up, man, this must have been probably 12 years ago. Oh, yeah. 11, 12 years ago. Yeah, the one that would never fit back in a box. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, it's rough. I, I have the boxes still, but it, it's all in a, a, you know, plastic, you know, crate type of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what people do when they have a lot of sets. Yeah. I've got a good amount of stuff. I, I wish, I wish I, well, yeah, I wish I could buy more, but really, I, I will once I find out if he truly does like the game. But as yeah. it is, I've got you know easily hundreds of dollars worth of stuff, and that's already oh, wow. too much considering I don't play it. Oh, absolutely, and and you don't know what the reception's going to be like. Right, and I mean he might like other stuff more, or maybe he does like the variety of games, and we don't. It's, this isn't something we're going to play a hundred times, so. You know, there's more than enough stuff within what I have if if we're only going to end up, you know, pulling it out a couple dozen times or whatever. Oh, yeah. And if I'm really lucky, he'll, he'll fly right past it, right? He'll be like, yeah, okay, this is great, but it's, you know, kind of simple and we'll move right on to some meteor game or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, it's not, it really the advanced version is not so bad. I mean, that's why there's, it's not really in any way a kid's game. Um, it's just one of those things that's very accommodating for children. Oh yeah, because of the ba- in part because of the basic rules, and then also just because it's easy to um, keep kids' interest, just because the, all the terrain and all the figures, you know, pre-painted and whatnot, are are you know, pretty darn cool. Oh, absolutely, and some of them are pretty darn big too. Yeah, exactly.
Okay, so what have you been playing then? All right. <laughs> this is something we started, what, how long ago? Yeah. So uh, I, I got a bunch of games in, a whole bunch of games of New Mary. You know, covered that one uh, quite a while ago. That's still a big hit with my son. And it's one game that I actually like playing with him. I mean, much more so than uh, some of the uh, more kiddie games, I guess. Right. So that one's still a big hit. We do kind of do a little bit of a, a dumbed-down version of the rules where we don't do splitting of dice rolls because when you roll a 5, you can split it into a 1 and a 4 or a right. 2 and a 3. So we kind of leave that out. Otherwise, he plays great. And, uh, you know, it says under, I think it's for 6 and above. So I can say that uh, Blake right now is uh, 3 years, 10 months. So, you know, sub four-year-old can handle it fine. Then uh, one more game that we played of his was Pop the Pig. Did you ever see this one? Uh, it doesn't sound too familiar. Yeah, because it's lame. <laughs> <laughs> it is so lame. So what you do with this game is you have this pig that I think he's got like a like a chef's outfit on. He's got a chef's hat, a white, you know, chef's coat, whatever you want to call it. And you have a bunch of these hamburgers. He's like little puffy, rubbery, plasticky hamburgers. And there's they come in a bunch of variety of colors, and there's numbers printed on the bottom of them. So you put them all number side down, and you randomly, or you roll a die that tells you which color hamburger to pick. So let's say it's uh, purple. And then you pick up one of the four purple ones, purple burgers and mm -hmm. then it might say four on the bottom of it so it'll be one two three or four and then you push the burger into the pig's mouth and then you press down on his head four times till it clicks so you keep going through this and then eventually one of the pressings of of his head causes his belly to pop open okay and then that's the end of the game. Nice. Uh, yeah, lame. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, I did get a game of Gloomin. This is the original one, not the Cthulhu mm -hmm. version. Interesting game. Uh, have you ever played it? Gloom. Now, is this a little card game with the see-through cards? Yeah. Yeah, I know of I know of it. I, I, I if I played it, it was five years ago. Yeah, it's an older game. I think it came out in two thousand four. So it's what's that about eight years old? Exactly. Yeah, it was a big at the time. I, I think it had four yeah. expansions. Oh, was, there's a ton of them. Yeah. Well, it, back then a, it had that. I, by now, I'm sure it's, it has more. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting little game. Basically, you go through, and uh, you have a family of. Uh, number of people everybody has a family of people and what you're basically doing is drawing these plasticky cards and you're trying to uh, give your people bad experiences and your opponent's people's good experiences and then the worst experiences are like positive points versus happy experiences or negative points no way all the way around. Anyway, you, you want to ruin their day, and then you want to kill them off, <laughs> essentially. So uh, it's an interesting little game. 
Uh, it's definitely more filler material. It's very sim, you know, it, the mechanic of it is similar to uh, Redakai. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that game? Redaki. Redaki. I don't know. Redaki, yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, there's a huge sale on it over at uh, Target. Oh, okay. Right now, they had, the I think they were like $30 kits. They're four bucks. So I was looking at them like, yeah, no, I'm not going to get it. It was almost an impulse buy, but I talked myself out of it, which means I'll probably be back there later on this week. (laughs) So... Yeah, Gloom's pretty interesting. It's such a pain to shuffle these cards. They kind of stick together a little bit, and they mm-hmm. just do not shuffle well. And they smell. <laughs> they have a, yeah, I remember a that. Very strong odor to them. So that was Gloom. <laughs> we also got a new dice tray. Oh, yeah? We never had a dice tray before. Do you have one at all? Yeah, I have a custom-made one from a guy on BGG. It's got leather wrapped around it and felt. We'll have to check that out. Felt on the bottom, and then the inside's like uh, some kind of material that absorbs sound, and the the dice still bounce. Uh, Like a mouse pad material, kind of, maybe? Better than that, but but kind of, yeah. Well, I'll definitely Uh, have to check that out. Yeah, it it wasn't too much. Well, what did you pay for yours? It was like twenty bucks. Yeah, is it like the wood sided one? Yeah, like the octagon. Hexa- yeah, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. The octagon with the felt green felt. I want to say I spent about the same on this uh, this custom one off off BGG. Yeah, this thing was kind of an impulse buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, like I said, that's exactly and... what you want to buy in a store. You want to see that kind of stuff. The thing oh, about yeah. that one you've got is that I think the sides are a little higher. Yes. Uh, and, and it makes it kind of hard to see. Yeah, but the, but dice. the dice don't bounce out, and so yeah. That's yeah. um, also that's I think a little bit larger than the one I have. It's a mine's a little mm-hmm. smaller, but I couldn't quite decide if I wanted to own one or two. You know, it's kind of nice when I'm I'm playing against my wife if we each had our own. Oh, but yeah. then you usually don't have two sets of dice, so you're still going to pass the dice back and forth. So. But then you don't have to reach. Yeah, but what I guess, yeah, I don't know. So I still just have one. Um, one dice tray, but it's it's nice. It, it matches. Uh, I actually got it because uh, my uh, chairs are all black leather backed. So, uh, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, get it to match the furniture. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't. It didn't exactly pay extra or plan it that way. But he happened to have one, and I was otherwise deciding should I spend the money or not. And I was like, okay, well, the exact one he has is exactly what I would need for it to match. So I'm mm-hmm. definitely doing it. So I was really surprised that the functionality of this thing, where you know, I, I had seen the, the dice trays for a long time, kind of just resisted them in the past. But, I mean, it, for, for playing dice games, it's awesome. Oh, especially playing. Something. Yeah, I mean, rolling yeah. in the box, That's I did that when I was a kid, right? And you don't want to yeah. roll on the game board, and you, know, you knock pieces out of the way. And, right. You know, the, and, if you do it on the table, you start to nick it up, I, I guess, probably. And, or it just makes a lot of noise. And with my son, he is he's not quite... Got he doesn't quite have the hang of rolling dice. He kind of just lets it fall out of his hand sometimes. Yeah. Whereas my with, son's gotten better, uh, but he do, he doesn't shake them so much as he should. Yeah, right? exactly. I, I was originally going to get like the dice poppers when he was you know one and two years old. Yeah. But, um, but I actually found he kind of did okay. Yeah, with the dice tray, he kind of throws it in there, so it 
it bounces, you know, it bounces off the back and it gets it gets a much yeah. better dice roll. Yeah. And plus the dice don't go on the floors often. Right. Uh my son refers no. to mine as a, a tire. Uh, because it, you know it's black and it's yeah. uh, leather around it, and so it's so it's round, so he thinks it's a tire. That's awesome. Can we play with the tire, Daddy? Yeah, I'm gonna roll the dice in the tire. So, but he gets real excited about that. So. Yeah. so the dice tray definitely, definitely, definitely uh, worth the purchase. I've heard of some people doing like a DIY home version using a picture frame and putting some felt or mouse pad material at the bottom. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting. I don't know. I, you know, I think for as much as you're going to use it, it's it's kind of a, it's worth the money to get something nice. Yeah, and and really the dice tower, um, you know, I guess it depends on the quantity of dice and the type yeah. of game. I mean, dice towers tend to be more of the wargamer uh, right. style, but for euros, I really kind of like the dice tray. I, think I agree. It works out the best. So I actually don't own a dice tower, if you can believe it. Um, I've, I've, Me neither. Well, I, and it's not for not wanting to or not wanting to spend the money. I just have a specific type I'm looking for because I once saw it and didn't buy it, couldn't, didn't want to spend the money at the time. And so all the ones I see are either these cheapy ones, which at that point I'd rather just use the dice tray I have, uh, or like even the one from Geek Chic. I just don't really like the way that they make the dice. There's like little pegs in it. And I don't want the peg bouncer. I want, you know, um, something more sophisticated than that, but that still looks really sharp. Right. And so there's a company, Vixen Tour, that made a lot of nice custom ones for a while, and I think they kind of disappeared. They were at Gen Con a couple of years back, and they had a nice website. Um, and and theirs, they they had some. They had those were basically the closest to what I was looking for. Um, but maybe you know I'm going to keep an eye out this year at Gen Con. I'll probably pick one up for sure. It's just been on my list for too long. Oh yeah. Yes. I, I the did the manage... dice tower is for the bucket of dice games, right? And you got yeah. like those handfuls of dice. You don't want to roll those in a in or, a dice but, tray. I think uh, what Wallenstein even well, comes with one. Yeah, Does yeah. They... There's a couple games I've got. Um, Shogun has the dice tower in it. <laughs> Actually, I've got a I've got a kids game, Busy Town Airport, which is a you know a game you can get it in your grocery store, and it actually has a dice tower in it. How cool is that? Oh yeah, that was that brings up another game I played. I played a Busy Town one. Yeah. Yeah. Which one? The one with the really long board. Yeah, my son loves that one too. Where it's kind of like an I Spy game. Yeah, yeah, you know, find the cones. Right. You know, it's an interesting game, kind of cooperative. Everybody goes up to the... Yeah, it's more it's more in the activity cab category. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, we never actually really even move our cars on it. We just kind of play the, the fine part. Um, but yeah, when he actually had more success on that, with that when he was younger. Because um, yeah. he would focus when... I, I played a lot of games with my son when he was only one year old. I mean, like mm-hmm. today. Uh, Orchard and a lot of the games that typically are played later. And at around two years, I played like that game. And uh, my son did really well until he got into that like terrible two. <laughs> yeah. And so I was at a level where no one would probably believe me if I said how what games I played and how young he was. 
Um, but now I'm kind of the, it's the complete opposite. It's really difficult because um, he's a high energy, you know, just. Um, so I've, I've tried to, so as to not ruin him on board games, I try to um, mostly only play games that he will play right. But that's right. one where, because we're half playing it right, if he doesn't want to do the whole drawn out thing and moving the pieces all around, along the track, then we'll just do the uh, sort of the I spy part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, since we're talking about it, I I really have to throw out there the game, the Busy Town Airport game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Richard Scary game. Have you seen this one? I have not, no. Okay. So you can get it. I got it in, in the Meyer, which is our local, you know, supermarket, mega yeah. supermarket, for like 20 bucks. And this has got to be the best mass market game I've ever seen in terms of just coming up with something new, right? Every other game is kind of just a rehash of something else, right? Whether, of course, all the, all the Hasbro stuff, but even like the busy town, you know, it's I Spy and all this. Well, this airport game, besides the fact that, the, you know, the inside of a box is the, is your airport and it has a dice tower, which is like the, the tower, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the observation tower, like at an airport, right? Yeah. So you mm-hmm. stick your dice in there. Well, then there's like little spots for passengers, but, but the cool part is it's, uh, basically what you do is there's, uh, I think there's an island and a mountain and there's four different locations, uh, a beach, let's say, and you put them, you scatter them around the room. So you put those in four different corners of the room, and you put the airport in the center. And now there's four different planes, and the planes are you know three-dimensional, and they have little windows where you actually stick figures in. So as you uh, pick people up at the airport, you stick them in, and you can see you know the like little bunny character through a window, and you actually then look like it's like a pickup and deliver for kids games. So then you fly those passengers, you know, you physically walk across the room to the beach or whatever it is and and you're there and you then you pick up a good uh like luggage or a special good i forget what it is and that goes in the luggage compartment on the little airplane and so on so it's just i i really found the the use of the physical space and the way that the planes store the the passengers there's different you know different passengers trying to go to different destinations and then there's the 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 luggage aspect but i thought it worked really really surprisingly well for a kids game and it was just otherwise creative right it wasn't just a rehash like pretty much every other kids game is even right. even the hobo games kind of rehash their same mechanics um you know one year to the next so i don't know this for whatever reason i mean maybe it was just because i got it at a supermarket really had a fresh feeling to it. i mean i was just very pleased with 20 bucks too and um you know my son just loves putting little characters in the the um the holes and you see them through the plane windows and putting the little goods in the back and the whole uh, pick them deliver thing. I don't know. You know, it just, it's genius because a pick up and deliver is otherwise not a, something I'm that big of a fan of, right? It tends to be the lighter games right. or if it's in a heavier game, it tends to be tedious or that type of thing, maybe very repetitive. But here with the way the theme's themed with the Richard Th- scary theme again, you know, it just, I don't, I don't just check it out. Yeah, actually, I think I have found uh, Blake's uh, birthday present. Exactly, and, and, you know, that's the thing. I think it would be a great gift if you don't want to, you know, order from Germany or something, but you want to give a gift to a, a you know, a nephew or, a, uh, or of course your son, like in your case, but or uh, yourself. You know, but I'm saying anyone out there, even if you didn't have kids, you know, that's why I mentioned this game is something you could probably pick up anywhere. Uh, 20 bucks, not terribly expensive, a familiar theme, but at least you know does something different. You know awesome gift think about it oh yeah absolutely 
For whatever reason, don't it think has, about it. Just get it. Yeah, just get it. It has two entries on <laughs> Board Game Geek, so it's one of these obscure titles, right? The mass market. A lot of the mass market stuff's not policed, and yeah. Uh, but you know, so there's not a lot of information on BGG about it, but uh, I give it a thumbs up anyway. Myself. Yeah, there's reviews on Amazon. Looks like. There you go. So check yeah, it out. Check it out over there. <laughs> Okay, then I got half a game in of Kingdom of Solomon. Okay, another... so this this I I've I know of the game, but I have literally talked to no one who's played it. So, uh, um, in your half a game, what what can you tell me about it? It it was interesting. It's a worker placement style game. Uh, I really need to sit down and, and do a complete game because it was just probably just under half a game uh, before. It just had to be put away. But did it's, you promise in it? Because you sound a little... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... No, I'm, I'm definitely not disappointed. I just... I have to reserve my judgment on it. I really enjoy worker placement games, and this is just definitely an interesting game. It's it's something that I think you definitely want to play with more than two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of most worker the game gets... Most worker placement games are like, well, maybe not most, but there's... There's a good number that are like that, just to get the... Yeah, because, you know, with some games, let's say like Stone Age, you're restricted from going into multiple areas. Right. You know, with, with this game, some areas of the game kind of go away. Okay. You know, so you don't play with those parts. And it, it's just interesting. I, I definitely want to play a, a full game or two before I make judgment on it. But so far, it's interesting. Like I said, worker placement, love it. Uh, so I, I think I'm really going to enjoy this one. And then the last one that I wanted to mention was my wife's been sending me all these can't stop games on Yukata. Oh, and, the invites. And, yeah, yeah. And you're this, like, stop it already. I'm, I'm this bored with game, it. This game, I mean, it's, I mean, there's really, not really much thinking in this game. But well, we've man, talked about if, it a lot. If you want to lose your status, you play this uh, game. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's been times where, you know, she sends me like seven invites. So, you know, we're playing like seven, eight, ten games. And you sit there and it's just like. The, yeah, and we talked move, about. Can't move, can't move, can't we move. We talked about other games where, uh, you know, they, they seem random, but if, you, if you're kind of committed and you get to that certain point, maybe ten games, you know, Dragon Heart and, and Kahuna and some of the other online games where you actually are going to win, or a lot of people you'll see win 80% of the time or 75% yeah. of the time, but can't stop. I think the best you're ever going to do against newer players, you might be able to, to squeak out the 60 or 65% wins, maybe maximum, because there's still luck involved, right? Mm-hmm. But once you get to the point where you're at the same level, like you know, you and your wife or just even other skilled people on, on that, it start, I think the problem, if there is a problem with the game, it starts to reset the randomness again. So now you're almost at that 50-50 level, right? Because right. you're equally right. skilled, you know the right things to do, you know what you shouldn't do, and now it really is coming down a little bit more to the just the dice rolls. It's still fun, and I think that's the thing about a game like that, is it's not that it isn't random, right? It's, of course it's horribly random, it's just the the feeling of suspense as you play it. So, But yeah, that wears off after time, and I found that I'm... Uh, you know, I go through phases where I'll I'll play a couple of games and then I very much don't want to be invited to any more. Oh yeah, and uh, the advice that I can give regarding this game is 
don't play too many games at once. Unless right. You well, that's it. why I have the physical um, copy now because that's where my wife and I will play it. We don't play it online. Which, we'll oh, pull out do you have the Griffin one? one? Yeah, I have the the very brand new one, Griffin Games. There, we've got that, and I kind of have an issue with that game. What's that? What's that? And that's that. They needed to do a better way of marking those columns because when you're rolling your dice, all the numbers are all the way at the top. They needed to do something where they number them at the bottom. Because well, or what if they did like a, a chessboard thing where every other column, you know, is white, black, white, black, or whatever. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I'm I'm disappointed they weren't more creative with the theme and and even the box artwork. They had, I think they had actually done a contest and then ended up saying, eh, we don't really like any of of the entries. We're just going to do our own thing." And their <laughs> own thing is really not that good. It's it's really yeah. like a really cheesy font you know i mean the graphics is okay i mean the the plastic components are kind of dull and uncreative because when you play with them especially when you stack them it's kind of clunky yeah i mean i'm not i'm not jumping up and down over over the graphics in the game but you know it's a sturdy board the pieces are sturdy uh it wasn't terribly expensive you know it's a good game so yeah I, I just there definitely was room for it to be with as many versions as have been put out, uh, you know. I, even yeah. that foreign version where they have like the mountain climbing theme. That know, one I looks think. cooler, but I, I've never seen it physically, so I don't know. Yeah, but it, just to say, I, I wish they'd been a little more creative for whatever it is, the fifth yeah. or sixth printing. Yeah, ditto. Yeah, I was always thinking of getting, you know, pulling out the P Touch. And just writing, you know, putting small stickers oh, on, numbers on each towards one the of the squares, yeah. Or well, not on okay. not on all of them, but on the bottom, but, I got you. But towards the bottom, yeah. so that you know, when you roll that seven, you don't have to, you know, look all the way to the top and kind of follow that column down, and then. Well, it's because it's it's that. so easy in the online game because it adds up all the numbers for you and highlights what your choices are and people <laughs> yeah. are playing and you know split seconds, whereas you have to do the math yourself in the in the board game, and, and yeah, you have to follow the columns. That's what that's what makes it a little more interesting, though. Yeah, very very true, so, right? Yeah. That's precisely why I don't like a lot of online war games, because I, I, I want to know the factors involved, because it helps me make good decisions, right? So I, I know that, you know, uh, force or plus two, or uh, buildings are minus three, or whatever it is, and, instead of just it's all abstracted and hidden in complex formulas and algorithms that I'm, I'm not yep. aware of. So Absolutely. So, yeah, is anything so, else you played? Um, and Hungry, Hungry Hippos. Enough said. What have you yeah. been playing? <laughs> well, I have a pretty interesting uh, list of games yeah. this week. So the first one... Uh, is a game called I don't even know how to pronounce this one, but M I L ten forty nine. So I guess that's how it's pronounced. But this Good is help. a yeah, it's a it's a pretty obscure game by Aiello, and uh, there's at least two local gamers I know that have the game. Um, but otherwise, I don't think it's it's something that's been widely acquired or played. And right. what was interesting about this game is I played this with another heavy gamer fan. Uh, Eurofan, 
uh, amongst other things, right? But we actually couldn't get through the rules the first time. Oh, we wow. tried to play this a couple of weeks ago, and, and it was a little bit later in the night, but, you know, still, we were just, it, the translation was just monotonous and something with the way the order that the rules were laid out or the concepts just weren't coming across right in terms of how different aspects of the game worked, uh, you know, what you were really trying to do or accomplish and how you're trying to do it. I mean, just item after item after item, we basically after, you know, I kind of joked about it when, when we did play it now uh, again, but, you know, the initial play, I had so many paper cuts and, and bruises from being hit with the, the box that I didn't think I'd ever play this thing again. Right. But I don't know. It, it was kind of because you know the theme was interesting to me because it, there look, did look to be some unique stuff about the game, and you know I I had thought anyway that there might have been some good buzz on it. I just I, I really did was kind of interested to play it again. So we did. We got to play it, and I, I just wanted to add real quick. I mean, when you look at the game and the components, I mean. There's a lot of stuff there. It just looks interesting. It's like, wow, look at all those colors. Look at all those components. There's just so much stuff in there. Yeah, but at the, at the same time, it's a worker placement game where there's, and I, I mentioned this a lot, but for me, I really like a spatial element to the game somewhere, uh, it, typically, right? I mean, these are generalizations. but So usually when the game board is just like a bunch of spots to put stuff, mm-hmm. right, and there's really no other value to it, and it's a score track and stuff, I usually don't care for those games as much. So right. that was kind of something I looked at. I was kind of uh, that, that was the reason I personally didn't pre-order it for you know whatever the crazy import price was going to be. And uh, I don't think I had access to the rules at the time, so I was judging just based on components and, and some limited information. But in any case, I'll say a couple of things. So I'll I'll, I'll actually give the opinion before I give some of the details <laughs> on this okay. one, and that's because. Uh, one of the players that we had played with had played it previously and had basically reported that everyone besides himself that played the game absolutely hated it. Absolutely just detested the game, you know, never wanted to play it again. Okay. And that he himself was undecided. Okay. And then, you know, of course we played it, we played it with four. And so two with two owners of the game, myself and another new player, but very experienced player. And uh, I think we came out of that game with at least one one of the two owners hating the game, the other one still being undecided about it, that sort of uh, fourth player, expert player, you know, saying, well, I just as soon not play it again, and uh, and, and me liking it the most. So, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, you know, usually I, I still wonder sometimes, you know, how skewed people's opinions are, uh, the average person anyway, if, if they own the game, are they more prone to liking it? You know, because they, maybe because they've read the rules and therefore they have a better understanding than if they were taught the game, right? right. Stuff like that, especially for initial impressions. Which anything I'm saying now is an initial impression because I have only played it one time. I want to be clear on that, right? Right. But uh, the other thing I always w- worry about with some people too is, you know, I do you do notice the trends where people tend to dislike games where they lose, right? And they t- t- oh, yeah. tend to like games where they win or do of well. Uh, yeah, and some of that's human nature, and I'm not completely immune to that because, I've, again, I've mentioned many, many times that I want to understand why I did poorly. And, and even in a first play, if I, I look at the game and there's not the a shred of evidence of understanding as to why I did poorly and why I would be able to change something and do better, 
that I quickly lose interest, right? And usually I'll give it a second play, and if again, if if in the second play and I still see nothing, you know, in the third play, then there's there's no progression, right? There's nothing of interest to keep right. me involved when there's so many other games out there. But it, so in any case, the spoiler here is that I won. Uh, and, and I usually prefer that I don't win because then you see if I don't win, then I feel better saying, "Oh, I like the game. I came in last, but I still like really like the game, right?" Uh, and by by the same comparison, if I if I win, then I, I feel better saying, "I hated the game, right? It was just it was awful." No, I won. I've won every time I've played, right? But no, I just really don't like the game because um, you know then you can't really be accused as easily. So uh, I'm not a poor loser, right? Um, I really enjoy the experience of exploring games and trying new games and that type of thing. So I'm never really worried about whether I, I win or lose, just as long as I understand and my choices are meaningful. And you know, I've overtalked that enough. But getting back to the game, the things I'll say about it, good and bad. So when I say I liked it, I, I mean I liked it. I don't mean I loved it. I'm not going to acquire a copy. Uh, you know, the person who owned one offered me his for sale, and I, I not to the level where I want to. Uh, Get it, but I would play it again. Okay, so that's where kind of where okay. I am with it. And uh, so what it is is, first of all, there's attacking in the game, which attacking in a euro is really, really hard to do and do right. I talked about a game Alba Longa, which had it that I thought was awful with the way that it was implemented. These kind of number, simple number picking cards that you add, don't like that at all. Far too simple, way overused. That was the problem with Alba Longa. Well, this, the MIL 1049, it kind of has a uh, a similar similar way that you get to the quantities in terms of you have a certain number of knights or a certain number of points, but you you do and and there are castles and things that add defensive value. But what the way that you add to it instead of just picking a card and it's kind of blind that way, there's resources that are collected in the game and you're bidding a certain blind bidding a certain number of of resources to improve your odds at winning, right? So you, maybe you have six, and you'll go, okay, do I want to do I want to bid three of those? And, and I'm giving them up whether I win or lose. And my opponent, maybe he has 12, but because of other stuff he wants to accomplish, he's like, well, I'm only going to sacrifice, you know, two of those. Or, right. you know, or maybe you have a feeling for what your opponent has. So you go, well, I don't think he has that many, so I'm going to go six or seven because I, I don't think he has that many. And so there's a penalty involved, which makes it way more interesting than Alba Longa, right? Is there, you just don't bid 12 because you have 12 because that's going to really cripple you. That's giving away all your resources. Uh, but, you know, it's like fighting a war thematically, you know, costs resources if you want to be better armed or, you know, better logistics or whatever it is abstractly it represents. It kind of works. And where it falls down is I don't like blind bidding at all in games, right? Right. Because, mm-hmm. but, but for that, that said, I've not really seen it implemented better than I've seen it implemented here. And as a combat mechanic and such, I thought it was really kind of cool because there was blind bidding sucks when you really just have no idea what to bid. And I really felt like I did, I, you know, within the resources you have, and there's also different ones and, and they really, uh, I'll, I'll say that as a positive too. They have all different uses. So yes, the names kind of become irrelevant. Gold is gold and red is influence. Green is food. And there's a, uh, I don't even know what the other two is. There's blue and gray. I think stone and uh, fabric is the blue one. Stone is the black one, right? But okay. they have different uses in the game, and they are very distinct, and there's actually a progression where one's more valuable than the other. So in ties, uh, there's a, you know, gold beats this and, and, and so forth. 
red is used in certain situations so you know I kind of wanted to hold on to those green is in some ways the easiest to get so those if you have a lot of green you're more willing to give those for the blind bid and so uh, again there was just kind of this you know it really always just made sense is how many I was going to uh, be bidding and so I liked that uh, what I didn't like though is I, I only won by one point and a lot of people really like that right I won at 62 points but for a tight game, to have some lack of control with the blind bidding, and there's actually another time where you blind bid, and to only have won by a few points, you know, I mean, hard to say, right, only one play, but that's something I was a little concerned about, right? Like, I, if, if my decisions are having ample meaning and all my attacks are having ample meaning, I, you know, I feel like I should have won by more. Although I'll come back to that, one reason why that, would probably happen in, in later games. Uh, so the other the other thing that you bid for, I mentioned there's another thing you bid for, is there's a point where if you have a bunch of gold, everybody bids gold for six victory points. And there's a, a, a neat but overly confusing mechanic there where the winner, the person who bids the most, gets six, and everybody else gets six minus the difference in what you bid to the winner. Okay? So if you bid four and I bid six... The difference between us is two, so you actually get uh, four victory points, right? But mm-hmm. if but if I bid uh, seven and you bid two, the difference is five, so you're only going to get one victory point where I get the six. Now, any everybody else has the choice of keeping the gold or, or trading it for those victory points, but that was kind of a another interesting thing. I, I tend to find find I was just pretty much bidding the maximum gold I had, but this was sort of a reward for generating gold. And now there are uh, different actions that you take. Basically, you're getting lands for your knights, and uh, those produce goods. Uh, you know, and again, the goods do different things. Right. Uh, but the things that make the game interesting, beyond you know the stuff I've mentioned, is there's this vassal action where, okay, on your you have an individual player board, and then there's a center board where you do actions, not unlike a lot of worker placement games, even say Manhattan Project. Uh, on your little board, you'll put these different lands. Each knight can have one castle, two lands, and you have up to four of these knights. And and so what you can do, though, is one of the uh, options is you can make attempt to make somebody else's knight, so one of their four, a vassal to your lord, to your knight. And the the mechanics for doing that are kind of interesting, and then you you know there's a ways to score points that way and so forth there's an ability for them to resist and that's outside of actually uh, attacking them so then if you attack them instead of that kind of permanent relationship you actually gain one of you know you take over one of their lands and now you take that over to your board right so as as compared to say Manhattan project where you just use it one time with espionage or whatever so now you actually own that land and you can keep doing this um there's a a time mechanic where there's this this sort of tense choice between you can take certain actions where you're uh, making more knights and you're using your land tiles to generate cubes and you're taking time tokens to do that. When when a knight has four time, he dies. It's old. He's too old, right? And he dies. Okay. Okay, so, so you're balancing that. And then also, though, you actually place your workers on the squares that you're taking these time tokens off of. And so you actually might choose to take one. And, of course, the, the sooner you are on the track, the sooner you go and, and such. Um, so there's a lot of strategy there. Do I want to take the first one? Do I want to take the last one? 
Uh, do I want to stop taking actions and start placing my knights on the board so that I have better placement and better choices? And of course, there's different bonuses for having the most in, in different categories and such. And and so there's there's that kind of trade-off because there's this uh, resource part and then there's the placement part, but you kind of control when you switch. And one player may do that at a different time than another. And then I haven't mentioned it, but now with the whole dying thing, there's a, a the whole making babies thing in the game. Yeah. So you have to have an heir, and there's a there's a die roll there, and and that was the one part I didn't like, right? If so, the one point sway that we had could just be a die roll. You know, if if you uh, roll the wrong thing, you get a, another red cube, which red cubes on the board are your daughters. You really want sons, right? You want heirs. So that's represented in the game. You flip your knight over, now you have a knight with an heir, a son. Uh, and of course, if you have that and you have another one, that's now that's a way that you get another knight. So you start with two knights, one with an heir, one without. You can go up to a maximum of four with heirs. And when you have that, then there's uh, another kind of auction. Now this one isn't as blind, but there's an auction to marry. So the other players can choose a daughter, which are you start with, uh, I want to say it was three of these, and they're negative points. So women are negative points in the game. That's how politically incorrect is that, right? Yeah. Uh, so if you still have them at the end of the game, it's, it's very bad, especially if you have the most of them. There's even larger penalty. But you're trying to marry them off, and you offer like a dowry of, again, goods. So this is a reason to do that because you get rid of those cubes. Uh, now, on the other hand, the less you have, the, e the easier it is to influence you, which is one of the requirements for attack. So there's a nice tense... You know, back and forth debate there is: Do I want to? Get, I don't want to get rid of all of my daughters too soon because then I'm easier to attack. But I, I kind of want to, you know, do that over time and not get too many more. Uh, there's another mechanic where you can, you know, send them off to the nunnery and such. But you know, just there's a lot of different things to the game that I thought were interesting. And so what it really is is, I think I respect the game more as a, as a work of board gaming art. Right, as, okay. as, as a creative, you know, this is a game that I think should exist. There's a lot of games that I play that, I, that I'm, you know, mediocre on or I dislike. That I don't, I don't think this game even needs to exist. Right, this other game is clearly better. Don't buy it. Don't play it. Just go play this. Right. Right. And and this isn't one of those games. Right. So it's if I if I wanted to maintain a larger collection and I was more of a collector than a player. I'd actually absolutely put this game in my collection, even even to if never to play it, just because I think it represents some unique evolution to what worker placement has been. It's very complex. I think it needs a better rules translation. It's complex to get into anyway. I felt like even halfway through the game, I really understood what was going on and... I, I did feel like I understood. I felt like my decisions all had meaning. I, I felt like the blind bids had meaning. And and really, I enjoyed playing the game. It's just, I think this is one of those games where to get good at it, you're going to have to play multiple, multiple times, you know, ten times, you know, to, to, to really get the nuances in the game and, and, and get to where the score uh, could be quite different. And okay. one of the ways you could do that is by vassaling later in the game you earn a lot of extra points if they had land tiles and such. Uh, and combat's difficult because what you need is you need a total number of knights greater than the sum of the elements they have. And so their land counts. And so if they have two land and a castle and, and knights, then you need more guys than, you know, say, all of that. And that gets difficult to do. And, and there's just a lot of stuff. And so 
you know, it's it's not a, a good game for occasionally pulling out and, and playing. Uh, I don't think it makes a good game for a, a bunch of new players, but referenced by the feedback I'm giving from others, right, that literally we're talking about maybe six out of eight people hated the game, or five out of eight hated it, one didn't really care, one's indecisive. I had the most positive opinion of all of them. Okay. You know, and even I'm not rushing to buy the game, but sounds hard to, to, to say good things, right, with all that said. But, I, you know, I, this is, I think it's an easy, easy, easy game to sell to the type of person that looks at it that way. So if you're looking for uh, a heavy, you know, worker placement game for a regular game group, right, so you play with the same four people, I think this would be a terrible game of two. There's other comments that say... It works good. I, I, I mean, you know, again, hard to say in one play, but I just don't see it because with the way the blind bidding and marrying the daughters works, and the gold blind bid and stuff, there's, uh, you know, attacking and vassaling. You know, you might see other aspects playing it the first time, but I don't think you're going to experience the game correctly unless you played with four, which is amongst another reason why. Um, you know, because now I'm not probably going to enjoy this with my wife, which means the amount of times I'm going to play this with all the other worker placement games that are out there is somewhat limited. And I do play with a, a lot of different people. It's not usually the same exact composition right. uh, for four players anyway. So easy. You like heavy worker placement games. The things I said otherwise interest you, uh, including the blind bidding, that being a real negative. And it's a relatively stable play group, and you're going to play it you know, eight, nine times. I think it would be really, really worth checking out. Uh, I just scratched the surface, too, of there's a lot of other stuff going on uh, that, have, that I've probably forgotten about or not gone into enough, enough uh, depth on. So, And I know one or two people that might have it up for trade, so <laughs> even better. Uh, but yeah, not not entirely for me, but I, you know, I, I'd be curious to play it again and see, uh, you know, it, I, maybe I could be sold on it if, uh, if, if it were the right uh, group of people, so... That's MIL 1049. Okay, what else have you been playing? So another one I've been playing, uh, well, I, I guess, again, this falls under the initial impressions, is Nefarious. Ooh. Yeah, so that's uh, Donald X's new game of... Uh, yeah. Uh, so far, you know, enough of a fan anyway. I mean, Dominion, at least when it was new, I was a r- real fan of. Kingdom Builder, still a fan of. Uh, oh, that was yeah, the one we were waiting for the expansion, really. Uh, but Nefarious, and this is by Ascora Games, who'd only otherwise put out a game called Kaigon. And what's interesting about this game is that it came out last year, and here it is, May of 2012. Ooh, and now you're on a sour uh, topic. Yeah. And, I mean... You can't find it anywhere, and it's a sh- the company Ascora is in Chicago, right? Yeah. So that's even local to us, and none of the stores around here even have it. Yeah, I mean, a couple couple of gamers I I play with actually know him, uh, you know, and in game with them and all of that. But yeah, it, there were some production problems. Uh, from what I hear, it was printed in Germany, and and that's one of the reasons the price point's a little higher. And I, I don't know a lot of the details as I I didn't uh, buy into it myself. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I don't know if it was the th- theme didn't work for me, the artwork, or maybe it was just the price. I don't recall. Normally, I do keep notes on on stuff like that when I decide not to get something, but in this case, I just completely passed on it. Uh, so, in any case, what I thought about the game, 
it was really easy to make a decision with just one play because it is a super, super, super light game. So about one round through it, and you pretty much, you know, you've experienced all there is to experience with the game. So I'm not a fan. Really? No. And and here's why. It really did play out like a just ultra, ultra dumbed-down race for the galaxy. Okay. And so you have all these, the this iconography in the game, and, you know, and it really isn't that hard to follow. There's not that much iconography to it. But it, because a lot of times with those types of games, I mean, it's just really basic. There's not a lot of variation in what things do. And basically, there's four cards. So, you know, like Race for the Galaxy or any of those games, uh, you know, you, you choose from the, the cards that you're going to play. Um, everybody has the same four cards. One card is prospecting. And so what it is is that you put a, a, a meeple down on one of the four types of cards, and what you're doing is saying, okay, if either player on your left or right play that card in the future, you're going to get one gold when they do that. So if they both do that, you get two gold type of thing, right? Right. And I, I kind of found that unsatisfying because really there's only four things to pick from. You mostly use all well maybe not the last one but you use three of them pretty often you know there's they cost different amounts of money but you know some of us even ignored that entirely in fact i think i did uh, i only did that once and it didn't seem to really matter right it didn't seem to really hurt me or help me money wasn't otherwise that hard to come by that the one or two really made that much of a difference so that was kind of a wasted action so then right. the, now the next one is basically take cards take invention cards and so normally you just take one card. Great. And then, and I think it gives you, is that the one that gives you two money? Yeah. So you can get two money just from doing that card. And then the next one is invent. So spend the money that the invention costs, play the card. There's an action that affects you, generally positive. There's an action that affects other people, usually all of them, generally negative. Okay. And then there's a certain number of victory points that it's worth. And then at least in the four-player game we were playing, I think it was 20 points. First person to 20 wins. Okay, so that's three cards. And then the last card is just get four money. So really, you know, if you kind of throw out the prospecting thing, which is maybe the unique thing in the game, uh, and you kind of throw out the just get four money for doing nothing else, it's basically take inventions or play inventions, right? And, you know, you either have the money or you don't. So what you generally end up doing is whatever, because you're only taking one, and there's not a lot of hand management in this, usually. I mean, some of the actions kind of have you chuck cards and stuff, but but basically you have, you know, two or three of these cards or four, you know, and, and you're going to look at them and you're going to try to buy the one that gives you the most points. And you either have the money for that or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to buy one maybe that has an, an action that hurts other people enough, but possibly you just your choice is just do I save up and try to afford that next card and hope somebody doesn't otherwise cause me to pit, pitch it or something like that. Um, and that's really the whole game. So, I mean, I've explained the whole game right there. Now, the only thing I've left off is the Donald X component, which will be the one positive thing I'll say about the game. And that is, uh, there's this huge stack of cards, and at the beginning of the game, you draw two of them, and it changes up the game for that one play, Right. So just like in Dominion where you're drawing different stacks or in Kingdom Builder where you're drawing different things. But in this case, it's, the game's always the same. There's just two little things that change the rules. Okay, so that said, though, I think that's the positive just because compared to the rest of it, there wasn't very much going on. 
in our particular game, and you know, I took a quick scan through the the cards, but our, the particular two that we got, I mean, weren't particularly thrilling. Uh, you know, one was basically, okay, inventions are worth an extra victory point. Great. So you're basically just playing to, you know, in theory that means you want to put out low, uh, more lower valued cards, right? Right. But you, again, you, I didn't feel like I had really the control to do that. It wasn't really. Uh, you know, a meaningful enough strategy to look at that, and, and everybody's benefiting from the same one. And the other one, which did, actually, I would think should be in every game, is it said when you draw, you draw two cards and discard one that you don't want, which actually added options and decisions and such, and I don't know why that wasn't just a part of all all of the games. Um, so in, in one sense, the fact that we drew that card, I think, improved my opinion of the game because we were choosing from twice as many cards when we did. Okay. Uh, but Really, the problem—the problem with the game—it it is very fast. So I will say that if you don't mind the randomness and you're looking for a quick game, the theme's kind of a mad scientist, goofy theme, but it doesn't really come out much. So it is kind of themeless. Uh, it's really just the four actions and the iconography. But yeah, it just—it really felt like the the luck of the draw is what it came down to. Specifically in my game, uh, I. Uh, I uh, I did lose, yeah, the player to my right won, and what it was is I had been ahead for, and, and this is where I'm going to sound like the poor loser, right? Uh, but I had been ahead uh, maybe four turns even, one card away from winning. Okay. But I just couldn't draw the right card. So I kept taking this action. I had the money. I even had the money. I really just, I needed a card that was like four victory points or something. Um, for the for the stack of money I had, so I, I kept playing the okay take take an invention card oh great this one's worth one point not any good okay next turn take an invention card oh you know this one's <laughs> right and so it, I just didn't draw the card I needed to win the game to get to the twenty points and at the same time and I forget exactly why but there wasn't going to be a, a way to really do that with the smaller number of cards. Um, or, or at least not in the time that I thought I had before my opponent, which did, then just play down the card pretty much that I needed and go, okay, I got 20 points, I win. Yeah, so it's for me, it's in that sort of flux. You know, I don't need. I, I mean, I, I hate flux, um, it, <laughs> but it, but at least flux flux is flux, right? I mean, it's it's not supposed to really have any strategy or meaning to it you kind of go with the flow and it's chaotic and that's half the fun right and you, you win with apple pie in, in in the car or whatever crazy thing it is right and and right. now you got the apple pie but you're not in your car but now you need you know this and and so great right i mean i i, I still kind of get why other people like the game even if i don't so much right uh, but with this one, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm having trouble with, well, you know, and even there. So Flux, let's talk about Flux. I think, and Zombie Flux was the one that I had owned and played more. I think the theme actually came out a bit in that, right? I mean, you know, you're running around, you go, okay, I got the chainsaw and I kill zombies. And I, here, you know, it, the theme didn't really work at all, I, I didn't think. I mean, I, I wasn't even reading the names of the cards. Uh, you know, the, the, the art wasn't really that spectacular. The components for the price are outrageously poor. Uh, oh, for, wow. for as much as the, the game costs, there's just not a lot in the game. The player mats pretty chintzy, and you know I'm I'm not usually one to critique the component quality, but for the price, I I was a little amazed, and that's really what it came down to. I and mean, one of the other players, the one who won, actually wanted to purchase it. There was another one kind of put up for 
uh, for auction, and uh, <laughs> really just nobody would would spend. I mean, I was actually I would buy it just to try with my wife because I, I think it might work with two, uh, despite being light, you know, and then it plays even faster than probably right. So, right. Although there, when you do prospecting, I think I had uh, been told you get two money. And uh, but but really it came down to the price you know if it was like thirty thirty five bucks type of thing, and for what's ultimately a filler, that's just you know it's uh, it's it's not good enough for that right. Well, what's it going for? Cause I was under the impression it was around thirty thirty five. Uh, well, right here on BGG it's listed for thirty one ninety nine at Fun Again. Okay. So, uh, you know, it might be it might be less elsewhere. Uh, it had been more because it was really hard to get. Right now, it's kind of come down some. So no boards and bits has had it for mm, probably last two weeks at least. Yeah, but still, I mean, thirty. That's the only place discounted. Thirty-two dollars discounted. I mean, for what's really a filler. I mean, I'm getting fillers from FFG for thirteen bucks. You know that I enjoy enjoy like Citadels, right? You can pick that okay. up for like thirteen dollars. Yeah. So yeah. why? I mean, yes, if you had all those games, sure, this is different. But is it different enough? Is that prospecting thing and the like super light race for the galaxy? Well, how's really the quality of the production compared to his other games like Dominion? It, you know, I, to be fair, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the card quality. I know I know the play mats weren't spectacular. Uh, there wasn't a lot of components right for the price point. It's just again, it's really just for as light and quick as it is for thirty-two bucks. I it it does it just doesn't interest me even to try it. Wow, it's going to be an okay game. There's no way it's going to be this game that I love or that my wife loves, and we go, you know it's this thing we play all the time because it, uh, you know, I think it's just something you're going to quickly outgrow. It's it's just well, nothing, to it. nothing to this it. Nothing to it. This was a game that I was actually really looking forward to. As are a lot be... of people. I mean, obviously, uh, you know the Donald X name, but yeah. You know, and and this reminds me, and and, I, and I'll say it here because there's a, you know, I heard it on the other podcast where, oh now I forget the one, but uh, is it Dice Hate Me? They they brought on the guy who's the big, you know, they're launching their own company now. Uh, they were, they, I think they did the Kickstarter documentary, right? You know, the guys, and now they're launching this albino dragon company, mm-hmm. and and they were going a different approach and saying, okay, we're going to go out and get all these talented designers, you know, like a. Uh, you know, they like a Donald X, but specifically they mentioned uh, Richard Lanius, right, mm-hmm. of Arkham Horum fame. And uh, all these designers have, you know, just a closet full of designs that just never could get published. And, you know, they're not going to go to Kickstarter themselves, so we'll bring all these, you know, great games to, to market through Kickstarter. And my thought, my thought when I heard that, and, you know, I hope they realize this, but, okay, any game designer has a closet full of games, and there's a reason why there's a stack of games in his closet, right? It's like those are probably not the best games. They're duds. Yeah, I mean, I mean, myself when I was doing tons and tons of work on game designs back when, you know, there's I, I must have 50 games, right, that are at different levels of idea slash development slash components and you know yeah any one of those i mean <laughs> there's some really bad ones in there i i had one i had one that i was a big fan of acquire right and so okay. years ago when i was like 17 18 i as a war gamer right i had been playing asl for years at the point but obviously the first thing i said is okay there's squares in acquire wouldn't this be cool if it was hexes 
And so I went and I made a hex version of Acquire, right, with basically the same rules and a little bit bigger board. Oh, wait, I'm describing a game that just showed up on Kickstarter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you know about this? No. Yeah, it's a mega choir or whatever. Yeah, okay, not a terribly original idea. I had this when I was 17, 18. I think anybody wargamer that played with hexes and then plays a game with squares goes, wouldn't it be neat if this had hexes instead? He didn't even change the name much, didn't really change anything else to the game. He's put it up on Kickstarter, breaking in the money, I'm sure. But is this, some, is this a game that needed to be made? I think a choir works fine as is. There's a reason why that's like of my 50 games that's on the bottom of the list, right? Right. Uh, and, and so similarly, I'm, I'm looking at a game like, you know, okay, or Donald X will use specifically, okay, all this, uh, well, that's a, that's another problem with Dominion, right? He, he'd already made, you know, thousands and thousands of cards. So I thought this too when they first said that. So there's enough Dominion material for nine expansions. Okay, well, there's a reason... <laughs> In all of that, right, in the thousand cards, the ideas you come up with, aren't there 200 of them that are not good ideas, right, that kind of are the reason those didn't go into the first expansions, and you kind of left those off, right? The playtest wasn't so great for those, or they kind of made it imbalanced, or, you know, whatever it was, but there should be stacks and stacks of, of ones that just didn't work. They don't all need to be made into expansions. Right. Uh, so when I heard that, I, that, that sounded like not... Not a really good thing. And so similarly, okay, this kind of kind of guy came out of nowhere, and uh, yeah, I mean he's done done well. I'm a fan of his first two series, but okay, so is everything he has going to be gold? Every idea again buried in the closet, so that as a new publisher, I want to run and grab that one that probably all the notable ones turned down. And you think? I mean, I'm I'm just guessing, but I would imagine he shopped this to some larger publisher first. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good business strategy. I, I, mean, it's, I know it sounds good. We'll get the, all these names that everybody knows. We'll publish the stuff buried in the bottom of their closets. But is is that good business sense or not? No, I, I think they're saving their best stuff for those premier publishers. And and you would be better served by, you know, the the no name little guy who who has been spending 20 years on on a design, and you get that first gem. Right, that no designer can can do that multiple times. Let's you invest five or six years and you make a mega hit. You can't spend five or six years on your next game. Exactly. Right. I mean, or you could, but you're going to only put out four games before you die, depending on how <laughs> yeah. old you are. So you know, the, you know that's the what other happens. thing. The other thing too with something like, you know, let's say Lonius's Arkham Horror, you know, when it goes to a company like Fantasy Flight. They spend so much time and money doing the production of the game, you know. But not the rulebook. <laughs> so yeah, they've got, well, although they've gotten better. The, I, I like the Rex rules. If I just the throw the rulebook will be corrected in the first expansion. Yeah. Anyway, the you know they they spend so much time doctoring up the the game, and. Dice Hate Me had an interview even with Lanius. Man, this must have been like about a year ago. If that, yeah, it was somewhere around a year ago, some last summer, maybe a little bit after, where he actually gave some of the history of what happened with Arkham Horror and some of the production and how they changed a whole bunch of stuff around. I mean, right. can you get that kind of post production? Actually, that wouldn't be post production. Well, that's can the you development. Get that that's the development. So, yeah. really, can you get that with a small shop? You know, I, I say, 
Uh, and that's what I've said about rules. Rules are not the bad. Rules are not the fault of the game designer. They're the fault of the game developer. Because right. really, the game designer is is you know coming up with that cool idea, that neat mechanic, the twist, laying out the foundations for the rules. It's the developer that, through playtesting or through you know review and editing, is supposed to make that a tight, understandable rule set. Right. Uh, and, and the same thing in terms of if there's other issues with the game that should come out in playtesting. How much playtesting was done of this particular title with Ascora? I, I don't know. Yeah. And was there any feedback? I mean, certainly, again, I, I played in a group of multiple people and nobody had this, oh, I love this game type of reaction, right? Right. So mm-hmm. even if it was lukewarm, right, and by no means, uh, this is the opposite of the MIL uh, game where I probably disliked it the most of anyone at the table. Uh, and for coming in, I don't know if I came in second, but I was one turn away from winning. So, you know, I otherwise felt like I did well. Um, but I just don't see a point to the game. And, and, you know, check out a lot of other games I've reviewed and or we'll, we'll say discussed because I don't want to call it a review, especially uh, in this case since I've only played it once. But there's lots and lots of light games that I like. So I'm not some kind of, you know, gaming snob where I go, you know, hey, this is just for Are you sure? kids and and such. Nope. I'm sure people will accuse anybody of, of everything, right? So especially oh, yeah. if this is the only segment you're you're tuning into, then you don't have that other background on me, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, think what you will. But, hey, that's my opinion. It's first impressions. I feel it's more valid than most first impressions because uh, there's not much to the game. So it's not like I'm going to, uh, you know, encounter more depth in further plays. The only thing that's going to change is the um, those initial two cards, and, and I didn't feel that really, you know, even though it varies the play, the play itself is what I'm finding fault with and not enough right. depth. And so that's the problem with the game. Well, there's probably 10 expansions already planned. I will so. happily miss them. <laughs> so a, a rare so, miss, I guess, uh, for yeah. Final Axe for me. Yeah, you know, after Dominion and, you know, Kingdom Builder, which I really enjoy, as as do you, you know, it's... I would say disappointing to hear this about Nefarious, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Well, and I hope it didn't start as a, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've had this idea, too, is Race for the Galaxy, which gets called a, a good gateway game, I think is a terrible one because of the oh, iconography and all of that. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, my wife hates it to this day, but I, I respect the game. You know, it fell apart in the expansions for me, like a lot of people, and I, I kind of got played out on it, and... You know, I'm kind of a man, and and I'm not even really interested in it anymore. But that said, it, it has occurred to me that, you know, make a more approachable version of the game. Well, of course, I guess you could argue that's what San Juan is. But, <laughs> uh, you know, that's a pretty dated game. So, you know, kind of reinvent yeah. it. That obviously uh, predated it. But, uh, you know, make a new, uh, you know, better-themed lighter version of race for the galaxy type of thing and and you know maybe this was an attempt at that but it was too light it's the you know too much the opposite extreme and so i don't know where it fits uh, it's too obscure of a title that it's really going to be showing up you know in barnes and noble i think uh and you know that's almost where it fits uh, you know just for your first game ever this oh, yeah. it might be good for that i mean it actually might be uh, a perfect gateway game because uh, you know, for somebody that's never played any other games, this is the very first game they play. They very well may come away liking it. Because they do have Dominion, they do have Kingdom Builder, so so uh, so there you go. I mean, I, I can recommend it under that those the the guys of that, right? Yeah. Um, just 
is probably would be something you could play with your grandmother, um, for instance. After a game of bingo. Yeah. So. Bingo than the first. Yeah. Except again, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. Almost any iconography, I think regular, just a, a new gamer is not used to that, accustomed to having to remember things. There was no player aid. Uh, really, I think it was like the back of the rules. So that's that's a miss. Again, I think a light game has to have those little. I well, agree. Or if they were in there, they weren't dealt out. I imagine they they weren't dealt out because they weren't in there. But um, again, I obviously had no trouble with it. Not even remotely close to Race for the Galaxy, but a, a new gamer may. So. Okay. So that's enough on that. So another another game I got played was Barbarossa. Do you know about this one? Is, this is a really old game. like Well, not 15, really old. Isn't it like 10, 15 years old? Uh, well, if you're like if you're talking like Barbarossa, in terms of like a war game or whatever, there's infinite num- names like that. But no, I'm talking about the deck builder. So, oh, no, no. Yeah, I haven't heard of this one. 2010 by, uh, by BGG entry anyway. Okay. So this is the little um, Japan, Japan anime game where uh, it's, it's girls on tanks and you know, uh, you know, with their underwear showing type of thing. Okay. Yeah, so very controversial in that regard. Yeah. Uh, most of the negative ratings, it's rated pretty poorly because of that. And I've played it, uh, you know, again, I know a couple gamers that own it. What I, what was interesting about it for me is this game existed and was put out not long after Dominion, and I think it might have just been after Thunderstone. There There really weren't a lot of other deck builders at the time. And, right. you know, I think the only other thing was uh, the one that Rio Grande is going to eventually uh, republish, which was like Arctic, some you know, I don't know, it was a, the snow-themed one that I, nobody seems to to remember now. It kind of fell off the radar. Uh, but that one aside, was it Arctic Scavengers or something like that? Yeah. So this one, though, what was really, really cool about this game is this is the first sort of deck builder I played where you could hold a card back. And that's what always interested me about the game. Uh, because, And that's why I talked about it really like in Thunderstone Advance, where you can actually save, you can do this uh, prepare action and, and save you know, close to your entire hand if you wanted to, and then thereby have a better hand for the next turn. Well, in Barbarossa, you can save just one card. Normally you draw four, and I joke about that too, because it was like Dominion had five, right? So Thunderstone comes next, it has to change it to six, and then this comes, and they're like, well, five and six are taken, so we'll do four, right? You know, it's... It's like changing things just to change things. Right. Uh, but it's four, and then you can get a fifth card if you save a card. So you're always going to draw four, but if you save a card now, you'll have a hand of five. And that's kind of cool. Uh, the the uh, it, the game's all in f- the Japan. Japanese, I should say. <laughs> game's in <laughs> Japanese. Uh, yeah, well, those games are all in Japan too, but if you happen to get one from there, it'll be in Japanese language. So you have to put little paste-ups in, in there, you know, in the sleeves and stuff. Uh, the iconography is really overwhelming, you know, race for the galaxy level. Uh, it's not it's super intuitive, but after you get playing, after you go a round or two, you kind of get it. So uh, I still have, you know, I go months and months between plays, and I still have trouble with it the first you know, round or two, and but then I pick it up very quick. So, uh, like Thunderstone, it feels kind of longish. It probably is longer than Thunderstone by a little bit, anyway. Okay. 
less theme less theme but basically what you're doing is you know there's different nazi girls and tanks and such and you're trying to uh conquer these cities so unlike the the monster deck that comes out in in uh, thunderstone it's really just a single stack and uh you know the, there's the final one at the end which is a real, real tough one and uh there's different cities you know values in in that stack uh now the things that set it aside and and this is why this is why I'll really give the game uh, you know I'll come to my final opinion later but I'll give the game massive props for really really reinventing deck building more so than I think any game I've seen still since because there's a lot that they did different they didn't just copy dominion in the way you know thunderstone did didn't change up that many things in comparison so here's all the things that are different okay one is holding the card uh that's certainly different but two is when you attack the city, you draw from a card deck that's a random number between 0 and 6, and that adds strength to that city's defense value. So, you know, like in Thunderstone, where you always know that you're going to win, more or less, you know, there's they've done a little bit better now, or sometimes because you can have a card draw, you're, you're kind of betting that you'll draw something that you need, you know, that type of thing. But generally, you always know you're going to win, right? So now you don't in this game because you draw that random card. So you now you have to kind of hedge your bets. You know, do I want to try for it now? And if you lose, there's a real penalty. It's not just the monster goes away. One of your one of your tanks like goes back to your deck. Um, so that was something that was done different here too. Is a lot of the cards are played and stayed in front of you at a time when there wasn't a lot of that in in deck building. So you can tap cards and such uh, to use them, but they don't otherwise get discarded. Now, on top of that, there'll be optional bonuses. So maybe this tank has a four attack, right? But if you discard it, so now you can't use it next turn, you get a plus two attack, right? And you can decide some of those things after you see the value in the in the city. Okay. And if you trash it all together, maybe some things, sometimes it's another plus two. So now it's not even in your deck, but you really needed that to win the battle. Great. Um, so that's kind of unique. And then uh, you also have there's some cards that you get you throw back so they're one-time uses um, so maybe uh, you have you know two gold and there's nothing really you want to cl- clutter your deck with but you could get this this card that provides a you know a real money bonus or some other kind of bonus and you get to use it once and then it gets pitched uh, you know that's kind of neat and then now there's a deck of cards that are a one of a kind type of card so they're shuffled all together and you only see the one on top. And, uh, you know, and, and that's, there's just, you know, one of those. And if you take it, you get it. And they're usually worth victory points as well. So, uh, you know, that's different. And, uh, you know, th- then there's also this thing where if you, if you can't really, almost like this was before Ascension, but, you know, with Ascension with the cultist, where you can't beat anything, so you just kind of kill the cultist. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. there's a hill and uh you know in an entrenched position or whatever they're called there's two of them where you can just attack those and now those give you a uh, they actually uh give you bonus to your future attack so you can turn them in one time for a plus two or a plus one and that type of thing so okay uh you know and, and again I, I think maybe a lot of other games kind of silently drew from this one because you know not a lot of people by comparison know of it but there's really a lot of interesting stuff in in here and this was actually back in the time when i was still working on um you know some of my deck builder game designs and that was a game that really kind of inspired me because there was so much stuff to it and so i my my kind of props to the designer for just you know coming up with some really different stuff not just being copycat why they themed it the way they did well hey they're from japan and that's you know, the big art style, right? So 
that is what it is. I guess there's another theming of the game that's more classic World War II. Uh, I've I've heard they're bringing it to America now too. I'm okay. Not, I'm not sure with with which with which theme or if they clean it up a little bit or whatever. But you know, I'm I'm not usually bothered by you know, like I said, unless it's like decapitated heads where I like literally want to throw up. Uh, you know, the arts, the art, and in this case, uh, much like Dominion, it was really about the mechanics of the game, not the theme. You know, the theme, that's why I do like Thunderstone a lot, because the theme comes out so well. Uh, here, yeah, I mean, it did feel a little more combat-themed still. You know, you got tanks and you're, you're rolling on cities and stuff, but uh, but really, you know, the theme could be just about anything, I think. Um, but it's the mechanics that shine, so... You know, I think it, even if the theme really offended you, you know, you could probably print out something, you know, print out bunnies and, you know, zoo animals or something. And <laughs> yeah, you know, just stickers. You got to do the paste-ups anyway, right, with the uh, the Japanese version, right? So, you know, why not? But the, the game itself is sound and solid. So I will say one bad thing about it, and it's really a, a big negative for me. So everything else I've said has been positive, right? I'm not so sure, and I've played this game about five, six times, over the, the last couple of years, uh, I'm not so sure I'm a fan of the random value. I, I get why it's there. I know it kind of sometimes can be a problem in Thunderstone, but the issue is, you know, we had a player that drew the sixes, you know, like three or four times. And, you know, then say somebody else draws the zero or the one three or four times. You know, for the, the game is pretty tight on points, like any good, you know, deck builder will say, but... Uh, I, I feel like that probably swayed swayed a person's direction or not, you know, based on those card draws. So, I, I mean, I guess in a, in a perfect world, you're only going to you're going to play the odds on it. You, you know, you know maybe the composition of that stack, and you say, okay, enough sixes have come out that I know there aren't that many left, and I've got enough to cover up to a four, so that means it's a good decision, and I'll do it. But it just doesn't really play out that way, right? I mean, sometimes it's a, you know, I'd be good up to a three. I'm going to take that chance. Oh, crap. You know, it's a it's a six. Now I lose a tank. And that's the other thing. It's kind of a double penalty. Not only do you not win, or maybe your opponent does, you know, with the exact same stuff you had, but now you're penalized because you, you ditch a tank, and tanks are kind of hard to get out because it's double actions and such. Plus, you got to cycle through your whole deck again. So... That seemed pretty painful to me, and and and, too, and a little too random. Um, there, oh, there, there's also some take that cards in the game where uh, if you do win those zero through six cards, some of them you you know you give to the opponent and it clutters up their deck and it has some negative effect and such. So um, that was kind of done again before Thunderstone had really got to it, before Dominion had much of that. And uh, again, in, in lots of ways, it feels fresh. But uh, I'm kind of you know it's I like but don't love the game. You know, because of the that random card draw, everything else is all right for me. And you know, again, when you add in the theme that I'm not particularly fond of, and art, anime art's never been my thing personally. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of an awkward game to play in public too. Uh, so, yeah. you know, all those things put together, it's uh, you know, I'm not going to hate on it like many do. You know, and it's like I said, it's again funny that I'd have two games and in one show like that, but as an art form, you know, mechanically, uh, you know, I, I admire it very much what, what was done with it, what the designers did with it. And so that is the positive part about it, playing it for as long as it is. And, you know, all of that again, 
basically saying the same thing multiple times here. I'd rather play Thunderstone. I think the theme comes out better in Thunderstone. Thunderstone Advance, particularly because of the holding of the cards. I also like being able to hold more than one card and the way that that works. And some of the other elements now. Um, and so, so for its day, Barbarossa, I think, was you know, brilliant and uh, a game that I would absolutely have wanted to have in my collection. But now with where Thunderstone Advance is and where deck building's kind of evolved to, uh, it's a little more, uh, you know, not as necessary, right? Right. Unless, if you are a deck builder fan, you know, and you're, you've gotten Core Worlds and Rune Age and, you know, Thunderstone and all these other ones, then I don't know why you don't already have this game. You absolutely need to go get it. If the art doesn't offend you, um, you know, forget anything else I said about it. You'll you'll love the game. So, and I think there's an expansion for it too, which I've not played. So, yeah. So, um, still pretty pretty high. Haven't really 100% figured out what point rating I'll give this one, but um, but definitely above average. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> And then I uh, just have one other game uh, to talk about that we actually played the same night. A little bit briefer. Uh, this one, this one's an older game, Lords of Vegas. Do you know of this one? Yeah, yeah, I've played it. Oh yeah. Yeah, play it and and you, own it. What'd you think of it? Uh, I enjoyed it. I actually uh, played it with actually probably three games total. Uh, one time was with my wife and. She wasn't too happy about it. There was some part of the whole like gambling part that she didn't yeah. care for at all. Yeah, it's. I mean, my the thing I always say about this game is, I should hate this game. I should loathe it. It should be an, a one on BGG. I should burn it. I should put my foot through it. But I have exactly the opposite opinion of the game. Um, and the reason I should hate it is there's randomness all over the place in this right. game, right? I mean, everywhere, dice, dice everywhere. all over. And randomness. And that's crazy. And yet, somehow, you really do have control. And for the most part, you know, it feels like the better player should win or the player who, you know, who played the best. Not that there isn't a little bit of sway in a close game, but the experience of playing is also just ridiculously fun. And thematically, because it is a game about Vegas and you have all the dice and such, it, it actually works because, you know, well... You know, so so you know the gambling is kind of interesting, right? Because I I can choose another player to gamble at their casino, and I have a certain amount of money, and you can uh, you know choose to take the full bet or, or half of it, right? Right, exactly. Uh, and then there's certain numbers. All the numbers you would roll more more commonly, like sevens and stuff, I lose my money, and you get it. Uh, right. And then numbers that are hard to roll, like is it twos and twelves? I think double the money. So if if I I bet ten. And uh, I get that. I, I get I get twenty money, right? Right. Or uh, you know, ten if I roll, and then I lose it if I get the other numbers. So there's a lot of uh, gambling there. But I'm taking it from other players, or maybe half from you and half from the bank if you didn't cover the whole thing. But there's that kind of dynamic. But then otherwise, and and really why I I think I love this game so much is because I am a fan of Acquire. I always have been, and it's it's kind of cool i mentioned acquire for other reasons earlier in the show right but so now i'm coming back around to it a fan of acquire and this game very much reminds me of acquire because of the the way that you you draw tile uh cards instead of the tiles and it kind of gives you this grid location 
And there's different blocks, though, instead of it being all one board like a choir. And within the block, you're trying to kind of build the biggest casino rather than a hotel. Uh, and the, the value increases as you add squares and such. And the difference here is there is some mechanics for trading, although that doesn't usually happen too often in, in our games. But then there, the, that's also actually uh, reminds me a little bit of Chinatown, which is kind of a, a game I did kind of get rid of because I kind of did enjoy um, this one more. Thematically, this works way better than Acquire even. Um, and there's none of the, the hard money management in Acquire, which is a little overwhelming where you're splitting stock values and numbers and stuff. This is more just to the point. And so it, it's also really easy to teach. Like, you know, I would think, uh, you know, like your wife, she didn't like the dice rolling aspect, but did she? Well, she did like the dice rolling. The The thing that I think kind of turned it for her was the one mechanic where you go in, you know, with the money and, you know, like you had said, where, you know, you can take half the bet or the mm-hmm. full bet. Yeah, the and, gambling. Yeah, and, and I did that a couple of times. and Yeah, I you rolled really well and she rolls really poorly. Yeah, so, well, you know, the whole, because she loves dice games and there's, I mean, tons and tons of randomness to that and I mean you just like lose everything in some of those games yet the gambling part just bugged her yeah but because though I mean in a two-player too I mean if you keep gambling then at some point you'll probably lose and I found it kind of evens out over the game and then there's a certain point like early on it tends to happen a lot and then it you don't do as much about of it in the middle game and then at the end of the game maybe because you have you know you're, you're trying to deny your opponents you know more cash because you can only bid uh, based on the size of the casino they have, and so it's re- really limited in the early game anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean the the actions in the game. There's a lot of strategy that is hard to see, you know, the first time where you, you because the unique thing about the game is the score track isn't just a normal score track. In order to advance at certain points, you have to have a casino of a certain size, and otherwise you just you don't score any more points in the game ever. Right. And so you'll, you, you, the, everything is, is based around at that point, having the, l- the largest casino possible. And the way that you're going to do that, you can do a, kind of uh, a prospecting thing again, where you can buy uh, a tile that hasn't yet turned up on a card and you can use it until somebody, you know, draws the actual card, which in my last game, I actually <laughs> had having exactly the turn after I had bought it. Um, and they're expensive because you pay like twice the the cost. But there's also a thing where you can take over them. And the way the takeovers work here is, you know, the the dice. So if if you have one square and I have two squares, you can pay the the total of the pips that are shown, right? So maybe I have a three and a two, and you had a one, right? And then, so it's only six money, which is really affordable. We reroll the dice. I have two chances. It, you, basically, whoever has the highest number controls it, right? Right. And I have two chances to have a higher number than you, but you may well get it. And now you control it. And so you, then you can remodel it into a different color. And so there's a mechanic there. And maybe you remodel into a color next to another one, and that's the merger then. And, and, and that changes then ownership and quantities of numbers again. And so all of those aspects of it are just really neat. Play out pretty well in a two-player, but it's definitely that much better with three and four. Uh, although I, I, for occasional play, I find... Uh, the, the two player plenty satisfying. Oh, absolutely. So, and which is a, just another plus about the game, but really, yeah, it's, you know, between the unique scoring and, and the, you know, it's just, it's a well themed Vegas game with, you know, sort of like true gambling with real money and, you know, not, 
you know, nothing, nothing kind of funky about it, and and that sort of a choir feel. But yeah, I just uh, I can't say enough good things about the game. So I, you know, very very high rating from me. Uh, very much recommend it. If uh, if it doesn't otherwise put you off to think about all the randomness. But again, I don't know. If for some reason, it just thematically works, and you know, I, I think it generally evens out over the game. And you don't have to gamble if you don't want to, and you don't have to back. Uh, right. You know somebody's exactly. full bet if you don't want to, and then you're only risking half the money, uh, you know, and and uh, and so on. So, yeah. And there's uh, you're, what you're doing is there's a set number of cards for each of the different casinos, and you're kind of watching how many have come out for one because there's a payout that happens when you draw that card. Uh, and so there's a lot of strategy that goes into that, and kind of controlling and adapting to the market, and and remodeling your casino into those other colors, or out of those colors, or trying to deny your opponent by taking the extra tiles of his, so his can't grow big enough, or uh, taking over his casino. Uh, it's really just remarkable that for as easy it is to teach, set up, tear down, and relatively quick play, there's a a, a really decent amount of depth, and just never 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 doubted my love for the game so okay yeah the one gripe that i got for the game is the money yeah and i I wish it was chips exactly and that is a huge miss i'm sure they did it for price point but how do you have a vegas game of all games where poker chips would work and of course i have the mini poker chips and uh where i played it uh, he had, you know, even the full size ones, which are, you know, work even that much better for the Vegas game. So, um, yeah, absolutely toss the money and play with poker chips. Yeah, you know, because the, the thing is, because yeah, I mean, the it's theme. part theme, and the money just well, yeah, changes you, hands. It just goes back and forth because right. you're well, getting money and, and as you're, paper money you're goes, spending it's not it. even that spectacular of paper money. So yeah, it just it's just hard to work with it. At least that's what I found because. You're earning money all the time, and you're spending it, and it's just you yeah. Know. I wish they'd put in like a like Vegas yeah. Showdown had the like really cheap poker chips. I mean, even that would have been better, just Ooh, for know. part of the theme. But I don't know about that one. I still wouldn't have used it. I mean, I personally, I've got the little mini ones right with the printed numbers, which I which I love. And, yeah. Um, but yep. Okay. So uh, I guess we should move on to our game lust section. Try okay. to do try to do this weekly. All right. Yeah, and you know try to cover these uh, fairly quickly here because I think we're going really long on this show. Yeah, and that's kind of the intent. Most of these are games that we haven't. Obviously, the whole point of this is these are games that we haven't acquired yet, haven't played. So um, we're just kind of throwing it out there as a. I thought this was cool. You know, check it out type of thing. So the I've actually got three, and there's a reason I have three um, for this week. And uh, that's because I, I haven't done miniature gaming in quite some time. 
And, uh, you know, really the closest thing I probably have is HeroScape or I've got uh, the Axis and Allies War at Sea stuff, which are uh, like the naval stuff. Uh, but that's about all I've, I've dabbled with in, in the last couple of years. So now there's been a couple of things that have, have come out that have caught my interest. And so the first one was uh, another Axis and Allies release, but the Angels, which is their planes. It's kind of their take on Wings of War, but it's played on a, a hex map, which is, which is neat. Uh, and uh, the models are way bigger. Like they seem like twice the size of the Wings of War models. So they're just really big planes. I mean, my cool. is bigger than the toy planes my son plays with. I, you know, they're really good size. And and yeah, and and the other nice thing they did is it is a collectible game, and that part sucks absolutely. But they the the starter pack they packaged in a very very friendly way. Uh, they give you six planes in it in the starter set, and they give you all of the cards. So since planes are very similar to begin with, if you don't mind using a stand-in, you get the full range of uh, 31 stat cards for the entire set. So you don't have to buy a single booster pack, and you can play the entire game with any of the different planes and at least get feel a feel for which ones you might want to acquire. And there's sites that sell them individually. There's reasons I, I, I didn't like Wings of War so much. Uh, you play the card down, I found that clunky, uh, to keep playing these cards and try to move your aircraft along with these cards, I, I just it felt cumbersome and it was really problematic if you had a bunch of planes. And it's always been more fun for me to try to get more planes out on the on the playing area, right? And it's just not as fun to play with one or two. Um, and so that's where that game had broke down. So uh, you know, again, not really a real minis game here because it's you know it's hexes of course and and hey it's axis and alleys and it's collectible. So I mean it's like multiple multiple evils. But most people, uh, there's been good things said about it. So I've acquired it. I haven't yet got it to the table. Uh, it's also kind of hanging out there because I know my son will probably like it. He's already played with the planes a little bit. So uh, if if nothing else, there's that. The rule book is like 40 pages. It is a smaller rule book, but um, so it's by no means light fare. Even at that, there's some good detail to it at a 40-page, um, you know, half-size rulebook. But there's that. And then, of course, along with that, of course, I have to obviously mention Fantasy Flight Games' X-Wing miniature game. And uh, as a Star Wars fan, I'd kind of gone back and forth on that again because I didn't like Wings of War so much. And this was billed as being, you know, just a, a Star Wars license of it. But, you know, now I'm reading things like they don't use the cards. They've abandoned the one thing that made Wings of War Wings of War, which is what's weird about this debate uh, from the, you know, developer or designer of that game. Uh, so, you know, the one thing that made your game unique, they're not using in X-Wing, so what's the problem, right? I don't know. Um, but that's exactly, that exact reason is why I'm interested in the game, because I, the one thing I didn't like about Wings of War, which is what made Wings of War Wings of War, is not an X-Wing, and the theme's better, and I'm curious to see what happens. So yeah, I'll pick it up. It's also priced at a very attractive entry point, because you buy the extra fighters separately. And then the last one, which is the real reason I'm mentioning all of these, is, is Dust Warfare, right? So I have Dust Tactics. I haven't done a whole lot with the game. It's pretty light. I okay. kind of go back and forth. The models are too detailed that I'm ever going to get to play it with my son. I mean, they just, they, you know, I almost break them. They're so intricate and detailed, right? So um, you're talking, you know, you'd have to be seven or eight probably before it would make sense. Um, but... Dust Warfare has really had this great reception for a Fantasy Flight game. You know, and Fantasy Flight has launched other miniature games that weren't well received, 
And, you know, most of them they were only marginally kind of involved with, and that was the case here originally. But this kind of, I mean, the Weird War II stuff, you know, and obviously as a war gamer and a, and a you know, World War II fan, you know, that really appeals to me, and as a sci-fi fan, I should say. So the look of these miniatures are just spectacular, right? And they're all pre-primed, so since I don't paint a lot anymore, I, I used to back with 40K. But if I did want to paint them, they'd be pretty easy, just a couple washes and dry brush type of thing, right? Um, and if you really don't want to paint them, you can buy them pre-painted, right? If, uh, if you don't have the ability to play full-scale miniatures, you can play them with Dust Tactics board games. So, you know, there's just all these things that are different about it as compared to other miniature games out there. And I was kind of, I didn't know how it was going to be received, but it sounds like, you know, it's been pretty well received. And so I'll just direct everyone to beastofwar.com where they have like a 20-minute overview by, you know, veteran mini-gamers, uh, why they think Dust Warfare is great. Uh, the book's on, on its way for me, so I don't even have the book. Pretty good sized book, but I'm I'm encouraged since I already have the miniatures to try it, see what I think. You know, does this get me back into tabletop gaming? I actually hope not, because <laughs> it's expensive, right? I don't have any terrain anymore or any of that stuff, so I'd be uh, I'd be really laying out some cash for this stuff. But hey, it's on my radar. I'm I'm definitely lusting after it. There's really cool stuff. You got you got zombies. You got um, helicopters now and, and all this futuristic walking tanks and, and whatnot. Um, so there's some really cool stuff. So those are those miniature stuff, you know, just because of all the, the really cool components. That's what I've been lusting after. Uh, how about you, Rob? What do you got for this week? Yeah, for me, there's only one that I want to kind of mention, and that's St. Malo. Malo? Malo? I don't know if you've heard of this one. You've picked it's, something not on my radar. I have no idea. Yeah, this is uh, uh, it's a, a European title right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's come the oh boy the oh so this is a, an Alea game. Was it? Because I, I, I all of a sudden I could not remember the name of the publisher. Yeah, but, I actually uh, do know this game. I do know this game. But go ahead. Yeah, because uh, Ravensburger slash Alea. Okay. Yeah, they're coming out with this game. It's somewhat similar to, oh, what's that game called? I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, Roll Through the Ages, it seems, where you get a board and you basically write on it with some kind of dry erase marker. And it, it just seems interesting. It, it's it's very much compared to Roll Through the Ages, and that's one game that my wife and I love. And I'm really excited to learn more about it. Like I said, there's not a whole lot out for this game yet because I don't know if it's actually come out yet. It's it's going to be out soon. It's always advertised with Vegas. Okay. It's a it's yeah. a like a sister title. I right. know that that one's out already. So Saint Malo is probably coming out real soon if it hasn't been out already. Uh, it's got some pretty good ratings on BGG. Uh, again, I'd really like to hear uh, you know some more about this thing. There's well, the the problem with the game for me is that you use a dry erase marker on a board. Yeah, I, I mean you you know you're the big component quality guy, right? So doesn't that seem like yeah. you know well, hey they're basically at... making it less expensive by not providing you wooden cubes anymore and not providing well, you look markers. at roll through, look at uh, roll through the ages. I mean it uses well, least, a pad. Yeah. Aren't there pegs involved or Yeah, I mean there's yeah, there's a wooden board, but 
you do most of your scoring and everything like that on paper. I, I suppose. So, 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 I mean, it's along those same lines. And, uh, I just thought as a component guy, you would, you know, you would have found that uh, appalling. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. It's hard for me to judge. I mean, there's not uh, quite enough information for me and what I had seen hadn't, and that's why I completely had forgotten about the game. I'm kind of glad you added it back to my radar. I'll have to look and see, uh, it's been ages since I, I looked at it. I'm sure there's more info on it now, uh, what the gameplay is like and that type of thing. So, so that concludes episode number 10, Wanderlust. Make sure to check out our website at www.thisboardgamelife.com. You can also send us an email at contact at thisboardgamelife.com. Send us uh, any questions that you might have, any comments on the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can also email us MP3s of yourself, and we'll use it on the show. Call our voicemail at 754-444-TBGL, which is 754-444-8245. Also, join our BGG Guild. There's a link up on the website for that. Love to see uh, who you are, more about you. Also, uh, just... Uh, a reminder of what our upcoming shows are. Well, our next one for sure now will be the uh, the Feld episode. We've uh, mentioned a couple times now. We'll be uh, giving some contest information out in the next show or two. And then uh, also there's a couple uh, couple Kickstarter games we've played, uh, Ground Floor, and uh, a couple other ones as, as yet to be announced that we'll be giving our uh, our thoughts on. So uh, tune in for that. Okay, my name is Rod. I'll catch y'all later. Until next time, I'm Jeff. Oh,